Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, just after 3 on the east coast of the USA and that means just after 2 at Road America, which is where we are live from this weekend for the big IMSA event, including the state of the series. Scott Atherton will be live on RS2, but this is RS1 and it's Series 13, Episode 29 of Midweek Motorsport. No Tim this week, he's off playing with horsepower of a different kind, so that means when I say, and on the show tonight, Nick Damon will say... All the usual features. Thank you. On a packed show tonight is what I should have said. I don't even know my own script there. Uh, more from Nick in a moment. We'll also have our very own Gearbox Girl, Continental Tire Pit Lane reporter for IMSA Shea Adam, previewing the weekend to come at Road America and also looking back on last week's US, last weekend's US items. No time to do very much else than get into the show with no Tim tonight. That means I'm doing a million things at once. Keep the tweets coming. Might not be able to mention too many of them because I've got every single computer working here over time. And uh, the llama's running very quickly on the wheel at the moment to generate the electricity. So let's have the jingle and get into the first story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And the first story tonight. Top story tonight with uh, the papers having been shuffled. I need a sound effect for that. Uh, it requires the help of our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! You will be delayed hey. on the satellite <laughs> there. Uh, it was hungry at the weekend and it's halfway through the season. Well, it's a bit more than halfway through the season, yeah. but they're going into their their break. And we'll, we'll talk about how things stand and what we might expect in the second half of the season with Nick in a wee while but undoubtedly the big story of the weekend aside from what happened in the race and we'll get to that with Nick in a moment is that of Force India and this has been bubbling for a little while Nick yes well I suppose no surprise to anyone in many ways is that on uh, Friday night they were put into administration. It was slightly surprising that they were put into administration by uh, Sergio Perez, one of their drivers, uh, with the assistance of Mercedes AMG powertrain and a couple of others, um, obviously for unpaid um, bills and outstanding invoices and and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. the, the, in the outer levels, what's been happening is ever since Vijay Mali has been cons- consigned to staying in the UK and fighting a uh, extradition order from from the Indian government, um, they've have obviously been in severe financial trouble. I mean, the money that Vijay may or may not have is depending on who you believe in the saga of Vijay versus uh, the Congress Party um, has been effectively frozen. So they've had to to live without their benefactor, and um, they are you know therefore. Um, 
have been slowly suffering and, and it started to become, you know, they've had the thing where they need to get paid early on a couple of times and mm. they've also now saying they're running out of money. But obviously, actually being put into administration. Now, from what I hear, um, but I know you're going to bring in an expert in a minute, from what I hear, the one of the reasons they were put into administration was because VJ was being very awkward about selling the company. But by being in administration, it's no longer his job to sell them. It'll be the job of the receiver. Well, um, we'll and we'll talk about who is the likely buyer. Um, we've talked about that already on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, stand by, Nick, because as he rightly says, if I push up this fader here, we can uh, go to our forensic accountant and uh, oracle on all things financial matters, who is, of course, the responsible adult, Eve Hewitt. Welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Hello. Oh, good. Well, that that worked. Uh, you may have to speak a little bit louder or put the mic a little bit closer. All right, fine. Okay. Um, right, first of all, let me read Sergio Perez's version of events. Uh, this came out on July the 28th, 2018. He says, hello, everybody. Um, which is my line. Uh, I want you to know my version of what happened in these last days as I was sadly seen on the media a lot of wrong information that hurts me because my pure intention, spelt incorrectly, uh, was to save the job of more than 400 teammates. I'm writing this to send a message of confidence to my teammates and to all the fans that have always supported me has always supported me, uh, also incorrect, uh, support me in my professional career and in my personal life. Sorry, I'm being picky on the grammar here and I really need to get to the, the bulk of this. Force India has been in a critical financial position for some time. On Wednesday this week, one of the creditors was in court in London trying to wind up the team. If successful, this would have meant the team would be shut down immediately and everyone would lose, lose their jobs. Right. Uh, then he says, as being myself one of the creditors of the team, I was asked to use a different legal procedure in the English courts called courts administration, which allows a company to continue operating while a new owner was found. We had to move quickly. Luckily, we managed to get a court hearing yesterday uh, where the judge agreed with our position th- thanks to support from Mercedes and BWT. As a result, the team is now in the hands of the administrator who can sell the team and save the job. So 400 amazing people that work in the team. It's been very stressful, but it's important to do the right thing and I think the team will now have a very bright future right Eve I want to take one or two pieces here um, my knowledge of financial law in the UK you could write on the back of a postage stamp and still have room for Saturday's football results um, forcing you've been in a critical financial position for some time okay fine uh, yes on, on <laughs> based on their accounts ba- yes ba- based on their accounts because and it's a first of all let's say it's a little bit of a convoluted way uh, Force India bought back in 2011 by Sahara and obviously that was Vijay Malia um, and who first of all who owns Force India as far as we can tell 75% of Force India Formula 1 limited which is the race team right is owned by Orange India Holdings of Luxembourg Right. Sorry, they're incorporated in Luxembourg. Um, they are listed as the persons in control. Right. And they are listed as the parent company in the uh, accounts for year ended 31st of December 2016. Which would have been the last ones. Which are the, one, the last ones I can find. Right. There is also Force India Brand, which is still an active company. Um, doesn't seem to have any assets. Um, and Sorry? Doesn't seem to have any assets. Oh, so, so are they... Did they have a holding within Force India at no, all? No, no, no. Okay. No. And Force India, Force India Formula One, as the head office, which is a different company registration number, which also only has £10,000 of assets and apparently no toing and froing in terms of um, income or expenditure. Right. So uh, those are just 
those just look like administrative holdings. So, so, so where's all the money been going? Into Force India Formula One Limited. Right. Uh, and, and are they in financial trouble? Uh, they lost last... The, the preceding year to this, they lost 6.8 million. And in the year ended 2016, they lost 11.5 million. Right. Um, big numbers. So, yeah, big numbers. But not big in Formula One terms, really? Or Well, big by most people's. Well, you probably remember back to the Caterham Farrago. Yes. Yes. More of which later. Right, more of which later. All right, so um, certainly what uh, everybody says, including Sergio Perez, they have been in a critical financial position. Now, um, what we don't know is who was in court in London last Wednesday, a week ago today, trying to wind up the team. Um, that would be a petition for bankruptcy, is that correct? If you're winding up a team? Uh, yeah. Um, n- no, not not. Not quite. A winding up order is a court order that forces an insolvent company into compulsory liquidation. Um, Explain that. A, it's a Which pros- means what? They stop trading straight away? The court appoints an official receiver to liquidate the company's assets to repay creditors. Right. So it's not trading at that point. Okay. It's being. It's a fire it's, sale. It's, it's a fire sale. In, in, in parlance that I might understand. So in in... In what Sergio says, if Sergio Perez says, if successful, this would have meant the team would be shut down immediately and everyone would lose their jobs. So if that winding up order had been successful, then that would have been the end for Force India and bad news for everybody who works there. Yes, right. it would have. Okay. Now he says, um, he was one of the creditors. Uh, he was asked to use a different legal procedure called administration, which allows a company to continue operating when a new owner is found. Now, so he said... He moved quickly, they went to a court hearing, and the judge agreed with our petition, including Mercedes and BWT. What petition would that be? doesn't quite work like that. The, so the, what petition... So wait, 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 let me explain. The problem with a winding up order is that once the court has, is, has issued it, it cannot be stopped. However, what happens when you, try, when you send someone a winding up order is it goes to the court... Yeah. It's reviewed, yeah. and then the petition is sent to the insolvent company. Right. At that point, the insolvent company has the opportunity to do a number of different things. It can arrange a company voluntary arrangement. So it can, it can basically sit with its creditors and say, here's my plan for repaying you, okay. usually within five years. Right. It can obtain, the company that's being declared insolvent can obtain an administration order. So you normally put yourself into administration and you do that not to be nice and cuddly to your creditors, but to protect yourself and your secured lenders. Is this what in America will be called is it chapter, chapter 11, 11? A lot yeah. of airlines have Bankruptcy done that. Bankruptcy protection. So basically they put themselves into administration to allow them to continue trading, to give them an opportunity to continue bringing money in to potentially turn around a, finan- a bad financial situation. And to give it breathing space to sell. Oh, and potentially to sell it to someone else. Normally, right? Okay. Normally, at a decent rate, at whatever rate you can get it, and we'll we'll refer back to the old catering conversation. Right. But it's normally done by the directors and secured lenders, secured lenders being the operative. So I'm guessing that whoever was trying to wind them up, yeah, and was due in court. If yeah. they got as far as court, I'm very surprised it, they were able to stave it off. 
it's possible that what actually happened is that the directors of the company and the secured lenders of Force India, of Force India yeah. sat in court and said, this doesn't make any sense because we're all going to be worse off. Let's put the company into administration mm-hmm. with the agreement of the court. So what would have been these these uh, um, these legal proceedings, the court hearing on July the 27th that Sergio, Mercedes-Benz and BWT were involved with? What day was the 27th? That Friday. Was Thursday. That was the day, bef- day before all the... F- uh, yes, it was fr- possibly Friday, yes. Hmm. It, it, it's difficult to know, but if they were going to wind it up and the other creditors got wind of it and the secured lenders, they may have all gone to court and said a, to a the court... the court and for said, administration. No, no, we need to put this company into administration. Right. Okay. So, and the difference, the key difference between a winding up order and administration, a winding up order, you appoint a receiver whose sole job it is Break to it start sell selling off. things off and getting a return. Yeah. Whereas an administrator continu- actually takes control of the company and continues to run it and tries to potentially do one of a couple of things. Trade it out of its insolvency. Very unusual. Keep the money coming in and, and try. Unusual, but has happened. Yes. Um, some Sunderland football clubs football club. in, the, in the UK have done that in the past. Um, or at least put in to, number two, administrator, put into to position a plan that will allow the company to keep on trading whilst a viable package of inward investment or stroke a new buyer a new owner is found yes but crucially putting the company into administration stops all legal actions against it right all of them okay because the administrator has to be given breathing space to get on with either setting the company back on a path to trade itself out usually with inward investment or to find a buyer because after 14 days all of the employment contracts become come under the control of the administrator, and the administrator doesn't can't run the company at a loss. At which point, it becomes much a much worse position for the creditors, if you can, as you can imagine, because yep. I can't sell, I can't run this at a loss. Therefore, if I can't run it at a loss, and I can't run it at a profit, and I can't crowdfund us to close the difference. Um, Ooh, little dig there. Uh, I have to sell it, and therefore, then we're into fire sale. Right. So the the there are two crucial things there. One is that it stops all legal action, and the other is you, it, to give them some breathing space. But the other is that it doesn't stop you trading. We've talked about this before, but remind me, um, we've heard people talk about pre-pack administrations before. Yeah, these are stinky. I think they're stinky. They're legal, but they're not very... They're not very satisfactory for So when for people predators. are talking about pre-pack, this is a um, backhanded way of someone who wants to buy a company but does not necessarily want to pay the full market value for it, uh, negotiating his way their way into buying it cheaper? No. Um, the uh, company that's about to be declared um, insolvent, insolvent yeah can make preparations in advance to put itself into administration. It will then sell its assets to a new company, which could be by the same run by the same yeah. directors yeah. or an existing third party. But what then usually happens is that the 
the assets have been sold. Old company is left holding the liabilities. Yes. Old company's then liquidated. And because there are no assets, because they've been sold, there are no assets to set off against the liabilities. Anything that you have been able to find that suggests that's the situation here with Force India? Not at this distance, but uh, you would find out later if that had happened. Because if Nuco um, involves... New Fifi. New Fifi involves... um, Lords of the old Fifi people. You know, directors. Robert Fernley or VJ Malia. In fact, VJ Malia stopped being a director on the 30th of May, by the way, of this uh, year. Of this year? Yeah. Right. Um, Bob Fernley, still a director? Still showing as a director. Right. Um, uh, uh, as far as I can find on Company's House this morning. So right. that's that's what's been filed as of right now. And as we know from looking at it, some of the filings took quite a long time. Right. Um so if if Nuco were to include a number of um, directors of Old Co combined with some incoming money, um, you would then only find out later if they then dumped the liabilities of Old Co. All right. I, I think I'm following you. Um, let me quote something from the BBC's reporting on this, uh, saying that Vijay Malia... Um, was stating the team's operating company is the largest creditor here with over £159 million, that's $208 million, in debt. And he says, our holding company, this is Vijay Malia, uh, our holding company will work with the administrator to take the team out of administration or to sell the team at the best possible price. Uh, That makes sense in the context of what we've just said. So is it likely then that the operating company called whatever it was you said? Orange India Holdings. Right. Um may have put the team into administration themselves. They would have had to put the team into administration if they're the operating company. Possibly. You can't really tell from that. Our holding company will work with the administrator. Mm, It's impossible to tell without having seen the court papers. Okay. Um, Otmar Schaffner said uh, at the track on Friday, expected the team to receive fresh investment and be on a more sound financial footing. Crucially, he was asked a couple of very pointed questions by the very feisty Natalie Pinkham of Sky, who was doing a great investigative reporting job and wouldn't let him get away without having a go at them, um, saying, is Lawrence Stroll... Um, likely to buy the team as we've been talking about here on Midweek Motorsport and uh, he said there's a lot of people interested in it and she asked again yes but is Laura Stroll one of them he said he's a se- he's a sensible businessman I'm sure he's looking at it which I thought was an interesting uh, an interesting uh, situation the team operated uh, in Hungary at the weekend business as usual that everybody was seeing and that again Eve makes financial sense correct now FRP Advisory were the administrators for Manor, and they are people who uh, looked have been appointed this weekend. Um, well, at least they didn't pick the same people as did Caterhams. Jeff Rowley uh, is the joint administrator. Uh, will be engaging with the key st- stakeholders on an urgent basis to secure the best outcome for creditors, he said. Anything more you need to say on this? Is there any anything pointed that you've found in your scrubbing through of accounts. Might, I mean, you, I you mentioned something you wanted to come back to earlier on about monies paid and who, what was going backwards and forwards. Yeah, there's a big um, lump of cash going into the books as barter income under the heading of sponsorship. Oh, well, this could be the BWT 
Yeah. Uh, inverted commas lawn. But, uh, what, um, when did the when did that start though? Nick, when did BWT come on on board? Nick has been very quiet here. I notice he's not interrupted <laughs> once. It's very unusual thing. When did BWT come on board? Uh, this is their second season, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So there was 1.2 million of what was defined as barter transactions, where sponsorship is paid for by the provision of goods or services. Turnover and costs are oh, recognised in the financial statements where the market value of the goods or services may be readily ascertained, where a value cannot be readily ascertained, neither turnover nor costs are recognised. Right, OK, so that's not proper. I, I mean, this is the other other part of this, Eve, that I find very difficult to comprehend. BWT, uh, Sergio Perez is, is a driver who was expecting to be paid. Apparently, he wasn't paid for some of last year's money's owed. He's not being paid this year. He says it's not about the money. OK, that's fine. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to question his his motives uh, on on this. BWT are a sponsor, as is what I is what I've been led to believe, and yet they're saying there weren't sponsorships, there were loans, and they were expecting to be paid back. How would that work? No clue. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> Says our It's a it's a fun it's a financial instrument, but but how that's structured, I do not know. Because what B why would BWT be lending money and expecting to get it back and expecting to get it when they're getting a return on? Or maybe they were forfeiting some of the interest payments in maybe. lieu of of the sponsorship. I, I don't know. Well, because of the way they structured the the accounts, you can't tell because it may come it may come under the unquantifiable part of barter transaction. In which case, it's not shown. It'd be a heck of a lot more than 1.2 million, though, wouldn't it? I would think so. I yeah. would think so. Nick, this is all very unsatisfactory again, really, isn't it? It's showing the the dark underbelly of, of Formula One once again, and showing th- there's there's no fit and proper test for people who run Formula One teams, as they are in English Premier League uh, teams. I'm not saying that that always works perfectly either, but it's not great for the sport, is it? Well, the the oldest um, adage, of course, what's the way to make a small fortune out of Formula One? Start with a large fortune. Um, <laughs> Huge one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the fact is that it does take cubic dollars to, to run an F1 team. People who want to run F1 teams are either manufacturers who have that amount of money or for a certain amount of time they have that amount of money or people who are doing it as a vanity project and uh, and you know even a very rich man like Vijay Malia um, fell foul when, it, when other business interests collapsed into well into administration with the, with the airline so he was brought down by something else not working you know you've got the uh, uh, Mr. Stroll is uh, a billionaire as well so that's keep him going for a couple of years it's just very very expensive and you know it's very hard to find sponsorship and this is one of the reasons why the FIA is trying to reduce costs and you know another reason why we have a two-tier F1 at the moment because it's uh, it's money talks and mm. ne- never be much different. Yeah, obviously, but it's it's it is unfortunate. But this has been they've been bumping it on the bottom for the three years or four years since the whole saga with VJ started. So you know, uh, hopefully someone will come on board who's prepared to inject some cash in on a on a more permanent basis, and and they can pick their way back up to being you know, one of the stalwarts of the midfield. Uh, Ocon, who was of course. Uh, at Manor the year before they went uh, and folded. Um, uh, he's supposedly going to Renault next year. Um, 
they've got an option for Sydney. You've got an option on him for 2019, but given this current state of the team, they could lose him. So, I mean, the the, the paddock gossip at the weekend was Lawrence Stroll to buy the team to move Lance Stroll because he's not very happy with what's been going on at Williams, and and in doing that, he'll take a bigger controlling interest, perhaps even in in the way the team is run. Well, I mean, Lance Stroll is a proper bona fide billionaire. You know, he's not, he's not Lawrence, some yeah. sort of half-baked, half-baked, sorry, Lawrence, half-baked a hundred millionaire or whatever it is that Latifi is. No, he is, he is, he can afford to buy the team outright and throw money at it and run it, you know, um, well, at least for the length of uh, uh, Lance's career. So, you know, and, 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 and that's obviously good news, but they would help, they would hope obviously to become more self-sufficient as the pricing goes down. But yeah, I mean, he's a bit of money, he's probably an offer. Um, he has a very big incentive to want to buy them because he has a, a son to place for the drive. So, yeah, it may well happen. And the whole Ocon Science thing, that's pretty much done. Ocon's going to go to Renault. Um, prior to administration, there was a theoretical payment coming to um, uh, Force Anyway, Don't forget, they don't own his contract. Ocon's contract is owned by Mercedes. All they had was a, a written understanding that if he was going to do who's going to move anywhere in year two, it would have to be Mercedes. Well, if he, he, would, he would need to be bought out of his written understanding. But that's not like buying out a contract. So that's, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars probably yes. just to say, all right, just go away and be nice about it. Uh, and Perez, by the sounds of this, actually wants to stay. And obviously staying gives him the best chance. I, I accept what he's saying, and that's taking him at face value. He's not worried about the money he's owed, but staying with Force India, whatever the new Force India is or is called, it can't be changed. The name won't be changed this year, uh, of course. Um, but um, it gives him the best chance of, of getting that back money, or at least some of it, paid. So he, any thought of him perhaps going to McLaren, which was certainly uh, something that was being touted no, earlier on, that's probably not going to happen now. No. Don't forget, you see, the, point about his, the thing about him being paid is he's actually being paid money he's actually brought to the team. So what he wants is his cut from the tail cell and the other Mexican cash he brings along. Wow. So he's effectively, you know, he, he is a driver who is paid by a cut of the sponsorship he brings. Yeah. So he's actually already given them all the money from his sponsorship to say, can I have my bit back? So they've actually, you know, doubly um, uh, upset him. So, yes, I mean, I, I think it is a principal thing with, 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 with Chico. But, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think as far as Perez is concerned, his career is not going to find its way into one of the top three teams. So if Force India refunded, it's as good a place as any to be. Right. OK, stay there, Nick. I uh, just want to have a final word with... Uh, Eve Hewitt before we leave this and go on to what happened at the weekend and a look at the first part of the F1 season listening to Midweek Motorsport apologies for spending well actually not apologising for spending time on this because I get a bit tired as I suspect Eve does of reading complete nonsense in not just the motorsport press but the wider press as well about what's been going on and people who clearly don't understand um, the differences that we've been talking about now I'm not sure that everybody is, is likely other than financial experts to understand the absolute nuances of it but there's been some pretty average uh, reporting of this so anything else from you e, from what well as you know I've only just had a chance to, to print off these uh, financial statements you like looking at numbers and you're smiling at the moment so I, I suspect you are looking at this and doing that thing that you do where you're going well this doesn't work well it's just it's all <laughs> It's raising more questions than it's answering. Um, there's a there's a line in here that says um, there's a two point nine eight million pound loan uh, to a, an organisation called Blue Cam Management, 
I haven't had a chance to yet to look up who they are. Um, arising from a payment made to Blue Cam Management that was then loaned back to the company and has only partially been repaid. Okay. Uh, this this sounds like that fantastic British comedy, Bread, where they all lived in each other's houses and paid each other's rent so that they could get social services to give them housing benefits. I'd have to go and look up who Blue Cam Management are. Um, but there's a there's a fabulous list under related party transactions. This Bearing in mind, this is for the year ending uh, December 2016. Um, during the year, the company received 15 million from Diageo right. uh, related to sponsorship racing trackside and hospitality costs under an agreement negotiated in connection with Dr. VJ Malia's settlement with Diageo. Which sounds that, like that's it's the, the drinks company. Yes. Mm. Uh, which Saturn uh, and I be the Kingfisher think money. might be to do with Kingfisher. Um, but obviously there's there's been an amount of money from the from Kingfisher was oh, Kingfisher's yeah, t- uh, taken over by Diageo I can't remember um, but again there's, I mean there's loads of them there's one two three four five six seven eight nine that's the last one um, that made that actually made me go I, I'm sorry I have to go back to my desk now <laughs> look some stuff up I feel we might not heard the last of Eve on this uh, the one thing that is quite clear though Eve that this can't go on forever because the administrator doesn't have um, an, uh, a, an unending doesn't have an endless calendar on this. No, like I said, he the, the administrator gets to take over the contracts Jeff. of all the employees mm. after 14 days. He doesn't want to do that. And, and, that, that, and who's, who's the liability does that and responsibility does that become now? Well, then that starts to... The, the, the problem then is effectively the administrator is running the company and the administrator has taken on the value of all employee contracts. And that means that's that's coming out directly out of anything the creditors might end up with. So, you, so you want you don't want the administrator to be running the company because if he has to do that at a loss, he's going to start selling off assets for smaller bits of money because he's got to do it quickly. Who was the administrator who ended up being on the pit wall? Finbar O'Connell. Right, and this is not the same company, is that? Thank goodness it's not. <laughs> Uh, Eve Hewitt joining us for the financial news. As I say, we'll uh, probably hear a little more uh, from Eve on this in the coming weeks. It can't go on forever. Nick Damon has stayed with us. Do you feel enlightened, Nick? I do. I've got this here. I do. I, I, I now understand significantly. Well, if, if ever I, I'm, I'm about to go into administration, I know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why, uh, more likely. Yeah. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Series 13, Episode 29 on RS1. Nick Damon stays with us for Formula 1. Let's quickly run through the Formula 1 weekend before we start talking about uh, how the first part of the season has come. I know we've done more than half the races, but there's quite a little bit of a break now. I, I love the fact that everybody goes, before they head to the before we all head to the beach, what, like like the whole world stops because there's a couple of weeks without no, Formula 1. Have, have, no, have you not heard? It's, it's like... Like, um, you know, when the, the, the mills in Lancashire used to stop and they all got on a sharabang and went to Blackpool. Factory fortnight. The whole of the carbon fibre triangle has got on a single easy jet flight down to Palma de Mallorca and they're all jumping about and frolicking in the sand, let's be speaking. All drinking their San Miguel, other Spanish lagers are available. They are all staying, all two and a half thousand, they're all staying in a four-star, uh, fully inclusive resort. Very um, good. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, obviously they just have a couple of weeks off where they're not supposed to answer their emails and look anything yeah and that, that, that happens yeah all right let's uh let's yeah. talk about hungary um 
interest, interesting race, ultimately. Uh, very quickly, because we spent a lot of time on the first part of this, but and I want to get to where we think the teams are going into the break uh, and spend a bit of time on that. Um, very quickly, um, once again, our... Uh, if things are boring, just add water. Uh, worked very well in qualifying. Ferrari, who looked to have had this whole thing, everybody, all of the experts were saying, this is a Ferrari track, um, but it, you, in fairness, did say it's probably more of a Red Bull track, uh, but the rain came at the wrong time. Ferrari didn't qualify where they won. Everybody was very excited, thought it was going to be a tremendously brilliant race. It was all right. It got a bit tasty at the end. But ultimately, you've got to say, a fantastic race by um, Mercedes and, and particularly by Lewis Hamilton. I, I would have said up until the last five, ten laps. Also, I thought uh, Bottas did a great job. Um, I think he made a couple of bad decisions when he was trying to defend on very worn tyres. Um, but not the race Ferrari wanted, for sure. No, I think I, whilst you were very generous there and me saying it was a Red Bull track, it didn't really turn out to be there either, actually. Um, I think what it goes to show is that when things are so close between two top teams, it takes very little to swing, swing the advantage the across. Yeah. And I, I think the fact is, because we've been so used during the um, hybrid era to the fastest car being so much faster yeah. than everyone else... When someone turns and goes, Ferrari have got the fastest car, we all, and by we, I mean me, and everyone else, oh, well, that's you know, barring disaster now, Ferrari are going to win. But the margin is not the, you know, the, the thing that Rosberg and, uh, and Hamilton enjoyed in for three seasons. It was eroded last year, and now it's, it, it's minute advantages, you know, and it can ebb and flow. And it certainly seems that, you know, Ferrari started well. They did, had a great Friday. They had a great long run. Saturday morning was okay as well. And then you say, and then it rained. And, Ferrari's major advantage at the moment, yeah, where they are better de- demonstrably, is they have found something in the way they deploy the power. They have found a deployment in the power, which means they are driving off corners better than anyone else, which is why they are reaching better terminal speeds down the straight, which is why they are gaining speed along the straight. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, somebody said from the GPS, they appear to have gained the equivalent of 40 horsepower, which is two years' development in effectively 10 days mm-hmm. and it all goes back to, and and some and another wag said that we only way you can do that we can do that we can do that but we can only do it by cheating so <laughs> there is a whispering campaign still which has been going on all year that they're doing something with their deployment and by deployment i don't mean the the internal combustion engine no i mean the sold batteries and motors batteries and motors that they are gaining either legally or illegally or cleverly or not cleverly they are finding where they're getting which is fine they've, they've kind of admitted that they've made some some forward progress and the they've been moved to say we've run this by FIA technical and they say it's all right there we are and so that's their advantage so it's not a, a, an inherent aerodynamic or anything else it's actually a deployment so obviously once it rains and you're on, especially if you're on the extreme wet, having an extra 40 horsepower and being able to deploy it uh, in a car with no traction control is as much use as an Astro and a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's just how much extra wheel spin do you want, Mr. Fettel? You know, so, you know, they've, at that point, you're back down to just what the car can do. And obviously, also remember, all these cars are in a full dry setup because they know it's going to be dry and hot on Saturday and you can't change a car between Saturday and Sunday. So they troll these cars out in a full dry setup in the wet and we find out from that that, do you know what the best thing is? It's best to have the best driver. 
or the best driver in the wet. And we haven't seen it much over the past few years, but don't forget that a lot of Lewis's original um, reputation was made on being very, very good in the wet and his ability to automatically run the karting lines, know where to go and get damp. And he had a great session and he pinged it, pinged it onto uh, pole. Bottas as well. You know, Bottas and both the two Finns who are very good with low grip situation because they're Finns. They put it second and third. And Fettel, you know, didn't have a particularly good session, whether it's because he's not, not any inherent lack of ability in the wet perhaps he was still a bit scarred from the problems he'd had in germany in the wet but perhaps just the car wasn't setting he doesn't like it doesn't like running the wet in the dryer and he ended up fourth place but the surprising thing was how bad the red bulls were because you would think the car with the most downforce would work in the wet but you know perhaps they had to trim off downforce to make up for the lack of power in their dry setup so yeah that is what really happened is the best driver in the wet ended up on pole and then other people shuffled in behind him because the the advantages that currently ferrari have is in a specific place that they couldn't use at that point and as you said that meant that meant well okay now we're in for a race and uh the slightly faster car will be able to keep very close to the slightly slower car and we're going to have four cars battling it all out um and it didn't really happen and it didn't happen again because it appears that ferrari still have a I don't difficulties but still have a difference in the way they manage the tires so they didn't seem to be able to show any real speed or want to show any real speed at the start of the race um, they even started with um, Fettel on the soft rather than the ultra soft Mercedes had on. And it did help, obviously, that the Mercedes made a 1-2 start. Lewis got away. Bottas, who wasn't quite as quick, uh, carried on going, was fast enough to stay out of DRS range. But it meant that Lewis could start eking out a decent bit of a lead. Um, and then they then Ferrari brought in Raikkonen. And I was surprised that, that uh, Mercedes reacted with Bottas because he had bottled up Fettel. But obviously, they realised that even unbottled Fettel couldn't do anything. Yeah. He didn't really close it down. They ran long, and the turning point of the race, or perhaps the turning point of a potentially different race, uh, came around the time when um, it was time for Fettel to stop. In that he had a problem. He had made a small mistake, had a problem getting past science, and then they loused up his pit stop. And the net effect was, rather than coming out a second or two seconds ahead of Bottas, he ended up two seconds behind him, and couldn't use some of the extra performance he had so you kind of think well yeah so he, but he ends up in second and and, and, and it's not seen. the worst it could have happened nick i mean you know but for the rear tires of uh, bottas falling off a cliff in the last what five ten laps or so which they hadn't expected he thought he'd done a good job i, I thought i honestly um, I'm not really criticising Bottas. I think he did a great job. He responded when he was under pressure. He put two or three consecutive fastest laps of the race in when it looked like he was being closed down. And then the back end went away. He was struggling. He defended. Perhaps he defended a little bit too hard, but you can't really knock him for that. Uh, I thought the uh, accident with uh, Fettel was called 50-50. I thought that was reasonable. I thought it was... Uh, a little more the fault of Bottas on the Danny Rick, uh, who had a pretty decent race um, for Red Bull. So, I mean, Mercedes sort of 50-50, but the Hamilton side of the garage will be delighted because he has almost a full race in hand going into the break. Uh, Bottas is clearly a bit disheartened because he, he did pretty well. Ferrari won't be ecstatic, but it could have been a lot worse. Second and third on the grid, uh, Reichen and early on, I don't know why they didn't spring him when he was on the ultras and, and let him go because he was on a different strategy. That's the second race in the row, really, that Ferrari haven't got their strategy right. Red Bull, um, I mean, 
a, a, an expletive-laden radio message <laughs> from Verstappen, which he had the good grace to, or was told, to uh, apologise for later on. Um, but really, you can, you can. I never condone swearing, but you can. Un- that, that was his. That was his message to the team. It, it, was, yeah. it was Fom's choice to broadcast. I, I don't see why he has to apologise. No, I, I, indeed. Um, that's, that's basically saying if he has to apologise for that, he has to apologise. If, he, if he's in a, a team briefing and he swears. Then he has to pre, even though no one's ever going to hear it. He has ah, to but if nobody hears well. it, has it really happened? Exactly. Um, so I mean, I can understand the frustration from Red Bull. Uh, Danny Rick fought back well. Uh, fifth was about as good as he was um, ever. Good. Did they swap the places of Danny Rick and um, and Bottas around? Did no? Rick got past in the following round. All right. Okay. Fine. Sorry. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, dozed I, off I, I mean, at that I, point. I think, I think I think with the top card, what I was going to say, John. I think I think yeah, really just the thing you have to say is even if Fettel had come out in front of Bottas on the pit stop. You get the impression he probably could have driven up to the back of Lewis, but there's no reason we got past Lewis because Lewis's tires are 12 laps and you weren't going to fall off a cliff. So he'd yeah. be in the exact same position he was with Bottas. So, Ferrari uh, are really at sixes and sevens strategically in the last couple of, of races. Um, just while we're on the... Ra- Sorry, come on. Go on. They were trying some different stuff, and they were trying to do something with Kimmy, and, and and not necessarily. They were just well. That, that first one with Kimmy think... wasn't the wasn't the worst thing to do because that did effectively force Bottas to respond, which ultimately you could say meant he was ten laps short on his tyres at the end because yeah. he came in ten laps before he needed to. So you could say in that point of fact that got them second and third. So I mean, you, you might say that that part of it worked, but having put Kimmy on a different strategy, surely they should have let him go and. Push the Mercedes were cruising out in front um, with both of the, the drivers, and they weren't having to put the energy in the rear tyres that they would have had to if they were being pressured. And you know, as we saw later on, as I, and as I said, Bottas put two, three, four consecutive fastest laps in, but he did burn his tyres out when he was under pressure. From by then, it was uh, it was Vettel who was hit. so. I, I, I don't know about Ferrari. I, I maybe we're, we're giving them a, a, a bit of a hard rap. Just talk about radios. I don't want to talk about the radio mess. I do want to talk about radios because Fernando Alonso actually made the point that we've been making for quite some time about why, who would form is making the decisions, and who's who's writing the script for. Reality television is basically what he's what he's seeing, uh, and he's feeling he's feeling that he, amongst others, are getting rather a bad deal out of it. He's right. You've got this, yeah. They've, they've eased back on the Grosjean being a whinger this year because he's not done very much. They've still playing awful lot more questioning. Oh, should be sort of things from Hamilton. It's a, it's a they they're writing themselves a story. They're not you know and. and you know, there is a team who are responsible for team radio. I don't, I don't know them personally. I'm, you know, probably, actually, I probably do know a few of them, just don't know who they are doing the job. But, um, you know, it's a case of that's what they're told to do. And I'm pretty sure that there's a, you know, they are covering all 20 cars. And if they hear driver A make a comment that fits with driver A's profile on the team radio character chart, they'll, they'll, they'll say, Barry got this to play up. And they go, oh, I'll play them, you know, and, it, and he'll put it on the air. And is it right? No. Is it television? Yes. And you have to say, okay, you either accept it. The problem is you know, you, the drivers are obviously worried because they don't want the, this impression given the outside world. This is what they're saying all the time. But um, it's, it is a shortcut. It is a little bit lazy. It wasn't as offensive as a couple of things that, that – um, I mean – I mean, this is off topic, but those ridiculous virtual billboards going push Seb now and push Kimmy now. Have a time. I thought, oh, for goodness sake, this is not, you know, a 
seven-year-old playing a very basic video game for good it doesn't make it doesn't make you look good big or clever it just makes you look clueless and like you're literally it's like 10 people who are 50 got around a table and said what's going to entertain the kids let's do that it was just excruciating it's nick damon uh you're listening to midweek motorsports uh okay there's the situation as far as the weekend was going as we mentioned. Well done, Pierre Gasly. Uh, yeah, another great run by. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Well done, Gasly. Pulls himself up to thirteenth in the the championship and just three points behind Esteban Esteban Ocon. But another great run for a fairly quiet run for him in terms of not having to battle anybody. But he still had to get the car to the end. Did a very good job indeed. Yeah, no, it's it's it, yeah, it's a, obviously a. Uh, I'm sure a, a, a high point uh, in a very depressing weekend for uh, Christian Horner. At least, at least the Honda engine seems halfway capable at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Right, let's go through the teams. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited uh, network. And uh, we get the first part of the programme tonight is, is going to be F1 heavy um, because of what we've already gone through. Second half of the show tonight, uh, Cher Adam uh, joining us to... Uh, go through the weekend's US action and also to preview our live coverage of the IMSA Road America events uh, coming up. So if you're a sports car fan, stay with us. We're always entertaining our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, as we're into the half-term break. Uh, slightly more than half the races have gone. Uh, we'll run down from... I really should have the swinging symbol here. Um, uh, from 10 to 1 in terms of the team. Uh, Williams Mercedes uh, solidly... In, in 10th position um, with not an awful let me, let me, uh, yeah, John, John. Yes. Awful car, awful drivers, awful decision making, awful, 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 awful. Um, and, and also, given what awful. we've been talk, talking about in an awful financial situation, potentially next year. Well done. Extra, extra well done, awful there. Yeah. I, genuinely, we've spoken about, I don't want to speak about Williams anymore. It's too upsetting. Right. That, that's fine. No light at the end of the tunnel at all. Awful. Right. Awful tunnel. Awful light. Uh, ninth position with 18 manufacturers. It, it should be said, by the way, Williams have got four manufacturers points. And the next best is, or the next worst is 18. And that's Sauber Ferrari. Sauber Ferrari, I feel a bit sorry for this year because they've actually been on the cusp of, of some far better results. But I do see a light at the tunnel for Sauber. They were in a, a, a parlous financial situation and, and something to be excited with. The Alfa Romeo money uh, is uh, uh, the association and the Ferrari association is clearly working for them and you know in, in the driver talent stakes how do we think they'll be going into I think, the I, think I think they'll be well they'll be chuffed a bit I mean it's interesting I'll go back to what Sam said uh, back in the preview that the you know their, their pre-race um, testing was pretty damn awful um, but they yeah, and they basically um Managed to, so they need to work out the car. The car's really good. They need to work it out. Well, they've worked it out. They've managed to now be on the cusp of points most week, most weekends. One or other will get a couple of points. It is hard when the top, you know, when you think about it, when the top six is locked out, if they, if they finish, um, you've then got to, you know, you're, you're, you're only at the bottom elements. But I think, you know, um, Marcus Ericsson's done a, a solid job, um, as a solid journeyman driver should do. Um, and obviously they have Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, design, who's been a bit of a star. He had a poor, poor start. Um, he's still making um, rookie mistakes, and it's looking oddly with the both the sad news about Sergio Marchioni and the um, 
Raikkonen just doing what Raikkonen does, but in a far better way than he has in the last three or four years. They may have Charles for another year. You know, it may be that the promotion to Ferrari is not going to happen. There seems very little point taking Charles out of Sauber and sticking him into Haas, it would be the other option. Mm. So it could be they'll have Charles for another year, they'll have another year on this. You don't think money. it's time you don't think it's time for Charles to go to the big team to get called up to the, the major well, leagues and go to Ferrari? I I think it personally it would be a better idea than keeping Raikkonen, but Ferrari in the main team, they are very conservative. They've just had a major management reshuffle forced upon them. Mm. Um, rocking the boat, not necessarily. And then you turn around and you think about Raikkonen and you go, all right, what is Raikkonen doing wrong at the moment when he's been on the podium the last five races? Yes. Uh, he's um, a very good number so, two. He's a good you know, wingman, and, which and some people he, don't like yeah. being called. Uh, exactly. Uh, and as you know, I, whilst I'm not his biggest fan. In fact, I'm probably in the bottom five percent of his fans. So even if I'm admitting he's doing a good job and has a 50-50 chance, of keeping his drive Rafa mercilessly um, ripped into him during the preview, he must be doing something right. And I did love his uh, radio message about the uh, the water bottle. Anyway, that's Kimmy we'll talk about that later on. And Kimmy needs to bring his son more often as well because he's an absolute <laughs> cutie. Uh, so that's Sauber for Ferrari in ninth position in eighth. And I would think disappointed going into the break with 28 manufacturers points, Scuderia, Toro Rosso, Honda. Yeah, that's been a interesting. Well, yeah, you see, you see, if they were if they if they were listening to um, McLaren at the back end of last year, they but they thought they'd be lucky to get half a point because they'd already brought up 112 engines and it was pointless. Um, it's a weird situation with um, with Toro Rosso uh, in that the car appears to work at, every, at random circuits. It worked well at Bahrain. It worked well um, in at this weekend in in Hungary, and it doesn't necessarily and it just fades away elsewhere. Um, they, you know, I think the, the weird thing is, and I think it's, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't particularly want to speak this because obviously you know, Brendan is someone, it's a personal, someone I know personally, and, you know, he's you know, a, a good guy. But it's, that's not worked at all. You know, his, 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 his F1 thing, for whatever reason, maybe bad or whatever it is. But it's, it's not, not always he's been not, his fault, has it? It's not always been his fault. No, but if you take, if you take the three or four races back in the last year, the 12 races now, you know, you've had 50. 15 races there should have been a couple where you look better than he has done you know and i'm you know and and that's what it is and, and f1's tough f1's hard but it does show the kind of the issues with the supposedly massively impressive uh, red bull young driver system that they're trying to you know think about getting lando norris or a couple of other drivers in because um it's just really weird because they haven't got anyone to, to, to replace him and, and, and they are kind of drifting away. Gaz is a little start. Uh, you know, he's going to start making the uh, senior team drivers look over their shoulder in a year or so. Um, the car, I think, is is okay. It's not a classic. The engine is good in some places. Um, they'll, you know, they will carry on. About, yeah, they'll probably get another 10, 12 points as, as they tick along and then work out what to do next year without James Key, the technical director. Uh, which we'll come to in a moment. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, uh, and it's Nick Damon who is on the line. We're going through the uh, sort of the end of term, the half term uh, report, if you will, for the drivers. Uh, uh, McLaren Renault, seventh mm. position, 52 points. And I dare say, if you'd said to Zach Brown, at uh, the start of the season, that going into the into the break, they'd have twice as many constructors' points as Scuderia Toro Rosso. Rosso, he might have been actually quite happy with that. I don't think he would, because as far as he's concerned, they had the Honda, they'd have one point. All right, okay. Um, um, you know, it says a lot that 
in what is basically it's very hard to describe the McLaren in words that can be used in a family friendly uh, radio show in what is a pile of whatever uh, Fernando Alonso has picked up um, 44 points and scored points in um, eight of the races because he is it is rubbish it is just and we you know, saw all their ridiculous boast about how good they are no, the you see, we, we saw that at the weekend rubbish. though we saw that at the weekend though Nick um, with um, and I, I think it was Fernando with uh, younger tyres was comprehensively tonked out on the circuit by, I think, Danny Rick. I'm all right, Danny Rick's a bit special, we know that. But, you know, side-by-side side through corners, Fernando doing what Fernando does, Danny Rick doing what Danny Rick does. It was it was good spectacle for three corners, two and mm. a half, actually. And that that chassis did not look great. For, you know, the nonsense that we've had spouted about, oh, we've got the best chassis or the second best chassis on the grid, but we can't exploit it, is just that. Um, we will never know whether that was true or false. But what we can say this no, year we is... No, 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 no. No, no. I'm giving benefit of doubt. We could never know because they never got to exploit it because they were firefighting, almost literally sometimes, with the issues they had with the Honda engine. However, we can say categorically this year they haven't got the second or the third or the fourth or possibly even um, the fifth best chassis uh, on the grid. I think, you know, them and Williams have gone down a cul-de-sac in terms of their car design and that needs to be reversed. And, and I mean, all right, bring a James Kay on board. Will, will that make a difference? Well, it depends when he gets there, doesn't it? Because he's not going to be there next week. No, he won't be there for a few months. And obviously how quickly he gets there is good. Well, he's got a contract for 2019, hasn't he? Uh, the maximum time that you can hold someone um, under European employment law is 12 months. So the latest he could join this time next year. You can't, it doesn't matter if he could have a 10 year contract, but European employment law says if you resign, you could not stop this restricted trade. So it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, maybe a year. It could be shortened. They still want to get their hands on, perhaps they'll do a swap. There's, a, there's an idea they might want to take Van Dorn. Um, He's having a bit of a nightmare himself, which I think is possibly more due to the problems of the team than the problems of him. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be some bathroom between Toro Rosso and McLaren in some way. Um, but yeah, McLaren's just, just you know, it's, a, it's a, a tunnel that has no light. They are now rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic and buying a few new deck chairs, and they've thrown a couple of deck chairs over the side. Um, but it's still don't push Titanic. that analogy too far. No, it's still a Titanic. It's not. It's, it's you know, it's still a you know a, a nineteen, a, a not particularly watertight nineteen ten steamliner in a in a high tech world of uh, nuclear battleships. So uh, I, I can't see it. Will I mean, I, 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 in ten years' time do I see the position yes. of Williams being better? No. In ten years' time do I see the position of McLaren being better? Yes. Right. I just think they've got they have the desire to sort it. You know, there's going to be there are other things around them, finances and everything else, and it just takes a lot of time. Um, you know, it, it, even with all the money in the world, Mercedes bought out a race-winning team but couldn't become a race-winning team again for about three years. Yes, um, good point. You know, and it just you just can't take it around that quickly. Seven points further up the table in sixth position, just outside the top half. Force India Mercedes. We have uh, well documented, com- comprehensively documented the financial issues there, so there's no need to touch on that. Halfway up the table, it's kind of what Force India do. There's a there's one team, one place above them, who I think will be very happy about where they are, but. Force India midfield team in the midfield is that a surprise? Yeah. Well, no. Um, 
the one thing that's, pl- that's going to play to their advantage, oddly, because what the problem they've got at the moment is they've got no money. And with no money, you can't do any development. Yeah. Which would normally be left behind. But quite a lot of other teams have, given, have, have now given up on development as well because we have this two-tier system and there's a big there's a semi-large regulation change coming so they might well not get out developed by the rest of the midfield so being where they are where, where years before they would have been left behind there was a comment so, at the weekend about having new parts already drawn but we haven't had the money to bu- to put them into production which I thought that was uh, Otmar now who said who, who said that um, drivers for Force India oh sorry we, we actually McLaren Renault do we have are we any closer to knowing who's driving for McLaren Renault next year obviously Alonso can't do the full season for them I think I think I feel sorry for Fernando. I think you know um, he will. I'm sure. I, I can't think he wants to do it again. I think he'll right. go and find himself a, a selection of races where he can win. Doesn't need the money. Just wants to win some okay. stuff. I think. Okay. Force India Mercedes drivers. How have they done? Um, they've, yeah, they've managed not to hit each other very often. This improvement on last year, and they've <laughs> managed, uh, managed to match themselves. Ocon's looked a little bit quicker on a few occasions than Perez, but um, Ocon's on the way up, and Perez is going to carry on doing what he's doing until he decides to retire. He's got enough Mexican money to carry on driving. He's a very competent driver. He's not going to ever be in a top team and he's not ever going to be fired uh, it's very very tight there in that midfield with McLaren Renault in 7th on 52 points 59 for Force India Mercedes 66 for the next team Haas Ferrari 5th in the championship um, which is, is not bad for them uh, Kevin Magnussen having special care doing having the drive of his life this year and many people not me I hasten to add uh, had written him off and said this will be his last year in Formula 1 I think he's done a lot better than that and, and more than halfway up the table they'll I think be reasonably happy with what they've got and we kind of expect them to, oh. to be there I think if you'd said this in you know in, in winter testing they've been very pleased with yeah. it but, but when they've analysed how the races have gone they have left so many points on the table yes that's true you know they they lost twenty something in the first race, and they've carried on losing points since then. So, um, so they could have almost been best of the rest. They they should be no, in fourth they, position. They should be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a case of um, what might have been. I mean, obviously, Grosjean's had a, a ropey start to the season, put a couple of decent performances in uh, in the last four races. Uh, Magnussen's done brilliantly. He's done. You know, he's, he's, he's sort of leading the team. He's, you know, when you thought, well, they won't. They'll definitely fire one drive at the end of the year, and you, you, they'll go with the start. We go. Well, obviously, be great. Be, be uh, Magnussen. Now, I think, well, no, K Mag. If he can carry on doing what he's doing in the second half of the season, I'm sure he'll be fine. Renault. Um, the. Uh... Well, I don't know what to say about Renault. 82 points, uh, fourth place in the championship. Drivers first. Uh, Hulkenberg. I think uh, Hulkenberg's doing what Hulkenberg does. He's, he's picking up points where he can. He's being impressive on some weekends and anonymous on others. Um, Carlos Sainz appears, for some reason, appears to have received absolutely no love whatsoever from Renault. I don't get that. And I, I don't understand it either. It's like we want to get, we, you know, we, we don't own him. We want to, you know, he belongs to Renault. Red Bull, we can't keep him. I think there's a story behind that, to be honest, because um, there's no way he's going to Red. He's going to go to the main team. Um, that we've known that. McLaren. Since... He was another one who's been linked with McLaren. Well, he might well leave, but he's only leading because because Renault basically have decided they don't want him. They're, they're now thinking Espan Ocon, but they're buying Espan Ocon. He's contracted to Mercedes. You know, I know he has a French passport, which is a slight advantage, but he, they're just getting somebody who's contracted to someone else and replacing with somebody who's contracted to someone else. So if you're saying you're doing it for, you know, continuity, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Science isn't anything wrong. He's not. He's been out. He's just had a slightly less lucky season than Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg's not doing anything wrong either. Hulkenberg's doing what he does. But um, I just 
it's a weird, a weird situation with with Renault politically wise. The team have managed to significantly improve the car this year, which would be very positive for them. They need to significantly improve the engine, which you know obviously Red Bull gave up on. Uh, over the course of the next uh, year, but um, yeah, I think they'll, they'll be happy with fourth. I think they might have wanted a little bit more pace. I think they they'll be very happy to be leading the rest. But it's a problem is that chasm between the two is the issue the, yes. between the Premier League and the and the Championship. Two tiered is what Nick Damon called it, uh, as he says it's almost two leagues. Eighty two points for Renault, Red Bull Racing, Tag Heuer next up with two hundred and twenty three points. Christian Horner at scathing on. Uh, the Renault engine supply deal we're paying for top quality technology we're clearly not getting it well that was a relationship that was broken before the start of the year are they installing it properly well well, you see uh, and uh, you've got to be a bit careful here because you can jump to conclusions uh, and when um, Verstappen's engine went it was oh I've got no power and you know uh, quite a lot of people were pointing the finger, oh, it's another engine problem, it's another engine problem. Um, all right, was it a turbo problem? Was it an engine problem? We don't know. I think what he actually meant was, I have no power on the steering wheel because it went blank when that happened. It, it was slowing down as well, but there was nothing coming up on the dash. It went completely blank on that. And subsequent, and as you say, how are they putting the engines in the car? And is it an installation issue? I think it's very difficult and dangerous to start apportioning blame without knowing the full yeah, side of it. You know, and it's 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 also with the MG UK and everything else. But don't forget, it's also about cooling. All these things oh, need yes. to be cooled down. If you don't, and what cool do we know about Red properly, Bull? Well, they like to run things as aero as possible, but um, I, yeah, I don't want to have a go at Red Bull, but it, but it's it's you know they are suffering a lot more failures. Perhaps they say they're because they're running it harder and they're running the front. They obviously are trying to make up a, a there is a power deficit, and of course the annoying thing for them is that um, Ferrari have leaped leapt over Mercedes, so that gap between second and third is greater now because they're trying to catch Mercedes up, not Ferrari. Yes. Um, so they are behind and then you have to run extreme, extreme concepts and one of the ways to get things back is to, is to actually minimise the cooling. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, not accusing anyone of anything but, you know, it is a team, you know, the problem with you know, a broken relationship is how much do, um, uh, you know, for no care and, and, you know, also, they, you know, again, Red Bull aren't helping themselves by running a different fuel no. to um, Renault, uh, Renault and uh, McLaren. Yeah, you, so they have to. Yeah, it was one of the reasons. One of the things that McLaren did, which was ridiculous, when the first year of hybridisation, when they didn't run petronas fuel, and they apparently were down between thirty and forty horse. Yeah. about because of that. And that was just kind of a commercial organisation. It's easy to put the petronas fuel in. I think it was Mo, uh, So Churns at the time. <laughs> No one would have known or cared. Um, and then what, they got the 40 horsepower back. What about the drivers? Uh, Verstappen, we know all about. I, I think that uh, he's he's got a little bit of a difference in attitude this year. That may be because he's not quite as competitive. Well, it takes the pressure off. Terribly and then sort of He's kind of got a free pass this year because he's not, he's not expected to do anything championship-wise. Danny Rick, uh, I mean, they've both been... Uh, hit with the unreliability problems but Danny Rick has I think got more fastest laps than anybody and Red Bull have got more fastest laps this year they've got six and I know that I know that but But is Danny Rick going to resign is he going to resign where else is he going to go Unless he decides that he likes money more than racing um, which is fine Um, then the only place to go is is 
is Red Bull. I mean, obviously, he might decide, no, I want to be a team leader somewhere else and try and do a three-year project. You know, it didn't work for Alonso, but, you know, it, you, know, you, can, you, you, know you could be lucky. Who knows? But, um, yeah, Verstappen had a terrible start the season. He's picked it up now and is back into the sort of similar form um, we've seen before. Danny Rick, you know, does what he does when he can do it. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of hyperbole around both those drivers. Neither of them, to me, has the Go on. the look at the moment of a world champion. Yeah, agreed. I don't think either of them has the... It says to me, I can mount a 21-race championship bid, regardless of the car you're driving. Perhaps, yeah, it's easier to drive a, a you know a car that's going to win but you you look at them they're they're dropping they're all having dropped races you know for whatever reason you know be it whatever and i don't see either of them as put as running a championship challenge at the moment it might change by next year the reason the top two are the top two is because they know how to win a championship yeah good point good point nick Damon with us here on midweek motorsport that's the first hour done and done still to come well this midweek motorsport Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. It's been suggested on Twitter to at Specutainment that our next competition on Midweek Motorsport should be financially based after Eve's uh, report earlier on on the Force, Force India situation. I think that's quite a good idea, actually. Hope you were taking notes. And we'll squeeze plenty into what's left of the second hour. We have our Continental Tire Pit Lane reporter from IMSA Radio on RS2, Shea Adam, joining us, looking back on a weekend action in the US, weekend of sporting action in the US, which included NASCAR and IndyCar, and looking forward to a huge weekend from America's National Park of Speed, Road America, IMSA at the weekend, and uh, plenty to say about that, we'll give her plenty of time, but next, it's back to Nick Damon for the end of the half-term Formula One report. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com So we've got two teams to wrap up in the uh, stakes, the Formula One constructor standing stakes off for their summer break at the moment in second position, 2.23 for Red Bull Racing Tag Heuer 3.35, this is the gulf that Nick was talking about in the first hour of Midweek Motorsport on RS1 part of the Radio Show Limited network of, of channels uh, Red Bull have got really nothing to race for other than getting race victories but the gap between the constructors now is down to just 10 points and Ferrari with uh, that increase in performance levels that extra punch out of the corners however they're getting it it's working for them and clearly the confidence levels are rising in both of their drivers uh, Raikkonen I still like Nick is becoming if not a fan at least taking notice of of what uh, less upset with him Less upset with them. Okay, that's that's fine. I like that. I'll t- I'll take that. But there's a there's a growing confidence in Ferrari that will I think be worrying those at at Mercedes Benz. Um, and uh, Vettel is a guy who needs to have confidence in his machinery. He he gets out of the car what there is in it. He seldom outperforms the car. But when the car's good, there are few better than Vettel. And the second half of the season could be very interesting indeed. I just worry, Nick, that the tracks that they go to before the flyovers are not, might not be Ferrari tracks in the impetus that they have just lost in the last couple of races because the big momentum, the big more is a thing. And points-wise, it's swung back towards Lewis as far as Sebastian's concerned. 
Well, I think yeah, they're going. We go to we go to Spa and then uh, Monza, um, both of which are traditionally power tracks, and um, therefore you would say the new version of Ferrari should be in a, with a very good chance at both those circuits. Okay. Um, yeah, Monza especially. Um, I, I think it's been an exceptionally interesting season. I know you, you know, this is elements which you know, begin to get to people who are really into it. And I can see how people say individual races are relatively uninteresting because we've had this kind of battle between the two number ones and the two number twos and and you know out of the four doing the job you know Raikkonen in many ways is doing his number two job best I mean Bottas is being a bit too good as a number two in a lot of the time he's not you know he's, he's trying to be he's trying to be winning there but you look at the two drivers at the top and now a lot of a lot was made about Lewis's off weekends and off days and grumpy Lewis and again a lot of that is from the, the radio and everything else but I think the reason at the moment that Lewis is sitting with a small lead with a slower car is simply he's made less mistakes. Fewer. And I'm not just talking – fewer mistakes. I'm not just talking about, um, obviously, the, the Germany era, which was uh, huge for Fettel, but it's, it's just the little mistakes in between. It's, it, it, he's just put together a slightly cleaner season so far. Now – in any other year, that 24-point lead would have you saying, well, can he win it before he gets to, you know, can he win it at his favourite track in America because he's got that lead? But the fact is that the Ferrari is a car that is every bit of a match um, to the uh, Mercedes, and therefore it's still absolutely, as you say, within uh, Ferrari's grasp to win both titles. Um, and I think they'll be very, very you know, enamoured of that, and they're very positive about that. And I think they, they won't, whilst they'll be irritated that they've got this deficit, I don't think they'll be dismayed or, or disillusioned. And I also don't think that Fettel will either, because he, he knows that what yeah, he has the chance, it's, it's probably, much, probably in his hands at the moment, because he has the machinery to do it. Um, now, that obviously adds extra pressure, especially to the team, and especially to a team who are, of course, uh, sadly slightly rudderless at the moment. And it's how they react to that will be a, an interesting factor in those remaining nine races. You know, I, I think John Elkan, who's taken over, is a part of the Agnelli dynasty, and I don't think it'll take very long for him to get into harness. The, the issue is that we are just over halfway through a season, and you you have to have a firm hand on the prancing horse reins, um, but... There's, there has to be a lightness of touch as well so that you don't veer off course. Um, and, and I'm not sure how easy or difficult that will be to get that balance right. Well, the meddling, the meddling from the top has, has undone them in the past. Yes. Um, and the meddling from the middle has done them in the past. And, and the internal power struggles has undone them in the past. Um, Arava Benny has done a very good job in, in, mm. in creating a sort of a almost like a... Uh, Alex Ferguson, them versus us, us versus the world, sort of concept. It's a very good point. Concept, you know, and and by giving no, no by, by such short shrift for the media and that sort of thing. No, they're all against us. We're going to win. Now, you know, whether that that flies with the new management structure, who knows? Now, luckily, they've only got to keep it together for another three, what for another four months. Uh, um, so there should be a, a relatively easy chance that will happen. But it can go wrong, and there are things like you know whether they decide to um, employ Charles uh, Leclerc or stick with Kimi Raikkonen. So. Um, can I just say, though, as well, I, I, it's my personal opinion that um, I, I think they'll be okay for this year. I, I don't think we'll see that many changes. My worry for Ferrari would be who's making the decisions that need to be made right now about next year with those regulation changes and whether that's being done efficiently and expedited quickly. 
the good thing is, and about the good thing tends to be that when you've got things running well, it's often, you know, if, if there isn't a major change, like you're losing a losing your lead driver or an engine change, it it also takes a little bit of time for it all to go wrong as well. There tends to be a, a, a momentum of success, just as there's a momentum of disaster. Yeah. Um, there is a regulation change coming up for next year. It's a halfway house regulation change, and that is something which you probably would want to approach with a very stable organisation and management team. So that does present them with a, with, with a challenge. Um, much as you know, but I think this season they should be okay with current developing. Um, but it's 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 it's, very, it's intriguing. I think it's it's better that Lewis is ahead with a slightly slower car than vice versa because there's a chance to come back. Hamilton has, um, for all his detractors, um, effectively since we got we, we got away from the first four races where he was the first three or four races where it was a little bit kind of strange uh, after he didn't get the win in. Um, Australia, he's been a very good run, you know, he's, he's slight problem in Canada, um, and um, also obviously he had the non-finish in, in Austria, so, you know, apart from that, it's it's been a pretty, a pretty solid first and seconds the whole yeah. way. Yeah, agreed. And, and, he's, and, he, and he is on form, and he may be, be thanking the wrong people as far as some of these cynics are concerned in his post-race interviews and that sort of stuff, but the fact is, he has... In the past three races, he's come back from last to second, from 14th to first, and led from lights to flag, effectively. Yeah. So he's had three races where he has done the reverse of not putting a foot wrong. He's actually maximised in every possible way the situation he's got himself in. He's not put a single foot wrong. You talk about Lewis here. Three races. Yeah, in Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he We're not on the Mercedes yet. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 genuinely, I want, to talk, I want to talk to him as a pair. Yeah. I think it's so close now. That yeah, I want I'll say what you're saying. What it's about. You know, I think we need to talk about how they're interacting with each other because that's all they're lo- all they're looking at is they're looking at garage either way, going what they're doing, how they're doing, it. and it's how they're. And that's the same. That's, that's the same in, in a lot of respects for Raikkonen and Bottas because that's how they're being used by the teams as fairly blunt instruments. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, Bottas is unlucky because. Well, is unlucky because he, you know, in fairness, if he had a better start luck-wise, uh, he could have, a, you know, he could he could have been up and running. But the fact is, that he is now, you know, eighty-one points behind the lead. There is yeah. nine races to go. That is nine points a race. Mm-hmm. You have happen. to start saying you are now for the rest of this season. Here's some lovely money. You're our number two. Yeah. And you're a domestique, mate. But you know, interesting. Raikkonen is only forty-three points behind Fettel. So the, the thing is. Of course, he is a number two as well, but he'll be given a, you know, how he reacts now, I'm sure, will depend about how his, career, his future career is going. I mean, the interesting thing is, I think what has happened is what Raikkonen has done is if for, a re- if for some reason uh, Fry do let him go, he will not be put out to pasture. There'll be plenty of teams to be interested That's in signing him up. Whereas perhaps if he'd been at the end of last year with his performance, they'd gone, no, nah, you've had a good run, mate. Um, yeah, go and, go and do some more rallying. So he's probably, you know, there is, I'm sure, you know, the Haas team might want him, you know, some other teams might want a, a year or two of a very experienced driver who'll bring home the points. Um, and that, that's done him some good. But yeah, I think it's, 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 we're on an absolute knife edge of this, this thing. And I'm, you know, personally, obviously it's nice to get you know, three weeks off of three Sundays of doing, I don't know what can't they do uh, before we get the run into the run into the flag, which should be very exciting. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, just a, um, I, I, I think the next couple of races are absolutely crucial for Ferrari and for their corporate mindset. Um, that's that's my. I think if they have more issues 
um, if there are any mistakes, then Vettel will spit his dummy out because I think he's he is. Well, he owes, that. No, no, he so, owes. No, he no more time. No more time to talk about that. Sorry, okay, that's go. that's just that's just. <laughs> um, okay. Right, Mercedes Benz, uh, Lewis Hamilton on top of the pile. Valtteri Bottas in. Valtteri Bottas in fourth position. They've got ten points, as we mentioned on Ferrari. I, I, I want to put this out there straight away. I have become in the last eighteen months, two years, a, um, a real fan of Toto Wolf. I really like Toto Wolf. Uh, I like the fact that he gets ridiculously nervous before the race and doesn't want to start. I like the fact doesn't want to talk, um, but, but will do. But his answers are clipped because you can tell he's nervous, and you can see from his body language that he's nervous and excited, and and then nervous again. Uh, I like the fact that he pulls no punches at the weekend. He was absolutely straight about the two incidents that involved Bottas, and he didn't go into corporate PR speak about that about letting the stewards sort it out about whatever he, he was very good I think he's a great front man um, and I think Mercedes are doing a pretty good job they've been pushed a bit harder clearly and it does seem to me in the last in the second half of the first half of the season so the second quarter of the season if you will Nick that they've they've found the playbook again as well because the strategy that has traditionally, one might say, and we've talked about this a lot of this programme, has been all over the place, has actually got pretty pretty good, even when they haven't been dealt the best deck, the best hand of cards, rather. I think, yeah, they have made several mistakes in strategy, and you know, even as recently, you know, about three races ago, they were cocking things up, but um, I do think that, you know, it's, it's, it suddenly becomes a little bit easier when you haven't got the fastest car. And that sounds strange. But suddenly you start thinking a little bit more outside the box. Yeah, it, See, I don't, but I don't accept that. I still think the Mercedes is, is the best package. Easier. It is, it's absolutely true. It's always easier to follow than to lead. Mm-hmm. Always easier to follow. In, a, in any motor race, following is easier than leading, um, you know, because you, you are looking for the other person's mistake. And that person's not, if you make a mistake when you're, in, you're following, well, you just, God, I've made a mistake. I'll just Push catch it back up again. You know, I'll just catch back up again. Um, and I think it's the same with Mercedes. I think they, they, it makes it a little bit easier for them that they, they aren't sitting there with everyone going, oh, you should win. <laughs> oh, should have won that one. Should have won oh. it by a lap. Yeah. You know, so that, that takes a bit of pressure off. I think they are still horrendously vulnerable to um, those sort of errors. But perhaps the fact they've made a couple means they may have shortened the decision-making process. You know, they have 1,112 people back at Brackley looking at computers. But sometimes you just need someone looking out the window and holding your hand out, out in the pit lane. Far be um, it from me to criticise you, our Formula One expert, or indeed to disagree with you, but I'm, I, I am going to put out this point of view. I think Mercedes have done mm-hmm. an absolutely tremendous PR job of telling everybody that they're not as good as they thought they were and everybody else has caught up to them. And and there's, there's also this perception of, oh, well, of course, the Mercedes are no good in traffic. Well, hang on, look at what Lewis has done the last couple of races. He's driven through the field twice. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think you know, the fact is that the... I think we've got to be a bit careful is what I'm saying. No, I, I don't think it's, it's you know, been the again, big swing but that everybody the point says. About it is, no, there has been a swing, as I made earlier, is that the point about it is... Is that we when we because we've come used to the word the best car being a lap heavier, a lap faster. The now the best car being two tenths quicker, uh, which is what the Ferrari is, and, is, and obviously two tenths is very easy to overcome with one minor mistake. Um, it makes it a bit easier, and I, and I think the traffic thing is a valid point, apart from the fact that what the coming through the field with a car, one of the top three cars, and say one of the top two cars, um, is not that difficult if you've got a track where you can overtake. 
you know, even you know, Hockenheim had that one long straight in we go, I've sailed parts, I can get one a lap because I've got that pace advantage. The amount of overtaking between the top six cars and say the top four cars is very limited because you know they, they can't get that close to each other. They haven't got you know, that you know, you look at you know Sebastian, he had a car that was you know had to he had to wait, even though he had better tires, he had to wait for Valtteri's tires to fall off a cliff before he could get past him, even though he had a faster car by a second the whole time because it wasn't a track where he could get past. So I, I understand what you're saying. I understand yeah, you, you, you do need to take some of the PR spiel with a pinch of salt. Yes. Um, but I think, no, I think it's very much a case of, um, uh, yeah, I think that they did a good job. I think that Ferrari done a great job. I think we're going to go in for a great second half of the season. Well, that was going to be my next question. So everything, or not question, observation, it seems from everything that you said that as far as the rest of the season, it's, we're going to be worth tuning in for Spa and Monza at the very least, just to see which way the momentum goes before the flyaways. Although, in effect, we reset at the flyaways, so that gives you another... Uh, reason to tune in actually the guys at Liberty have got to be quite pleased Nick that they've got a season that is far from over I mean this weekend with the lead that Hamilton's got that's the biggest driver's points lead that we've had all season and it's still not a full race yeah I mean it, it is a, a very very close one I do think that the the, the next uh, yeah, the, the three or four races don't forget there's another race there's one race in the second half of the season that wasn't there last year and that's Russia um, and that was, um, if you remember, I know everything's different. That was Lewis's Achilles heel uh, last year, a terrible race. Uh, and, but Bottas managed to hold back the Ferraris to win. So, you know, the race they are inserting uh, into the second half is not a good one or was not historically a good one for, for Mercedes. So could it be a closer set? You know, you, you analyse the fixtures, don't you, going forward? Who's got the easiest run in that sort of thing? We're going straight down. Yeah, but um, I think it's going to go all the way. The one thing, I'll tell you what, I've been, I, this, is, this is what I'm going to say now, and I'll be very, very surprised if I'm wrong. I think it'll still be up for grabs come Abu Dhabi. Ooh. Season decided at Abu Dhabi, says our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Spent a lot of time on Formula One tonight, but I think it was worth it. Nick, always good to hear your pronouncements. And, of course, we'll remind you of them when we get to our season uh, <laughs> review you. at the end of the year. Uh, thanks very much, mate. Good job. Shea Adam has been listening intently to uh, all of that Formula One news, but we can move away from that. Uh, welcome to the show, Shea. Thank you. It's nice to, to be on finally and to be able to speak. Yeah, yes, I know. Sorry. <laughs> that, that F1 bit did go on a little bit. And by the way, I should say that uh, I think next week when we're all more or less in similar places, or at least the UK contingent are, we'll be doing a bit of a catch up uh, on WEC and ELMS ahead of our full coverage of the Silverstone WEC and ELMS rounds uh which is i think the week after yes isn't it that's that's right uh and we'll be at vir when i say we she and i'll be at vir because i think we've got a a free weekend uh next a free weekend a weekend where some of us don't have to go to racetracks anyway listen out for that in either <laughs> next week or the week after's uh, midweek motorsport we're not ignoring uh, other racing it's just that, that there were a lot of big things to talk about in formula one this week as there are in american racing can we start with nascar please Pocono at the weekend and first of all a very very big scary accident but let's say straight away say what you like about nascar vehicles they never compromise on safety and uh, what looked nasty wasn't quite as nasty as it might have been sure i think is the fair fairest thing to say 
Very, very much so. It looked like brake failure for Bubba Wallace as he was exiting turn one. He knew that it was coming from a long time back. Oh, that's he tried awful. to actually Yeah, he tried to slow the car down by driving through the grass in turn one and hit basically side impact. So he didn't go straight into the corner. But today being Wednesday, I'm sure he's still feeling it. Uh, oh, he's going to that for a while. Humor. Yeah, I, I think for about the next year, he'll be remembering that impact. Um, but he's got a massive sense of humor, came out of the medical center. Everybody was clamoring to ask him if he was okay. And he said, yep, they, uh, they gave me a sonogram and it's not twins, so I'm good. That's very good. I like it. I, I mean, actually, it was bad ne- or good news, bad news for Bubba Wallace because he just announced a, a race team contract e- extension. Yeah, he's in his first year in the uh, Monster Energy Cup Series, so the top league. And it was announced, I think, about a week ago that Bubba was going to be staying with uh, Daryl Wallace's team. He'll be a part of that organization for the foreseeable future. So excellent news on that front. And I bet he's glad he got that contract signed before uh, that crash. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope there's not a damage clause. He's in big trouble uh, after no. that one because I think that's uh, that's a sure car at best uh, after that. We, we talked I, a bit, was it last week or the, or the week before, Shay, about how few winners we've had and therefore how few people are locked in to the Monster Energy Series for the 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 bits that, that count, the race for the chase for the cup for the, the thing, the, the playoffs. And, and that hasn't changed. Still just seven drivers with a win this year. Well, here's the uh, mind-boggling thing. It was about a month ago when we were sitting in a restaurant with Declan Brennan at um, Bowmanville, I think it was, somewhere in Canada. And we were Bro. discussing... Peterborough, yeah. yes. We are discussing how crazy it is that only seven different drivers have won in the top series so far this year. We are a month later, and it is still only seven drivers. So seven people locked into the playoffs at this point. The bottom three in points, who are right now making the cutoff, they can get knocked out if anybody else wins, are Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott, and uh, Alex Bowman. So three Hendricks guys. The fourth one, not even in contention right now. No, indeed. Uh, And it's Watkins Glen, the road circuit for the Cup at the weekend. That's always worth watching. Do enjoy the stock cars around there. IndyCar were at Mid-Ohio in front of a huge crowd. It has to be said, lovely weather. uh, And I I don't think I've seen the S's down there as busy for a very long time. That seemed to be where all the crowd was, was concentrated and... In fairness, fair play, because there was a lot of overtaking, a lot of outside overtaking, which I don't think I can remember seeing as as much of of that. Now, uh, we started the season in IndyCar with a a bit of controversy, um, with Alex Rossi not getting penalised for some odd driving, which uh, cost Robert Wickens the race win, actually. Uh, He still managed to finish. That was at St. Pete's. He was on pole this weekend, dominated the race, um, but... His antics at the start were extraordinary in the fact that uh, he wasn't penalised for it. The other, the other front row driver had to lock up the front wheels because Rossi had, had uh, slowed the field down so much. And he, apparently he's invisible to race control. I don't know what's going on there. They are not penalizing Alexander Rossi as if he is wearing a cloak of invisibility. (laughs) The commentary team on the NBC broadcast said that he lives on a knife's edge. He reads the rule books. He knows what he can get away with and what he can't. And he just barely toes the line. Well, to me, 
Well, that's what, Townsend, that's what Townsend Bell said. I don't yes. think that Paul Tracy was actually quite on side with that. And Lee Diffie, who was the, the lead commentator, um, didn't comment at all. But, I mean, that looked as clear as clear to, to me. The, the UK commentators that you wouldn't have heard who do the, the bits in between the break were mm. uh, are similarly... Um, looking at the world through rossi tinted glasses and said oh no that was people not rose tinted glasses rossi tinted glasses yes yes um said oh no no that was the guys at the back they were trying to get on it too hard that's why they had to get now i listen i i could go with that if it wasn't for the fact that who was who was on the front row with him it's just gone out and behaved it was will power sorry of course in the the silver car he locked up his wheels so he didn't go by him i mean I, I, i just don't i don't get it i thought that was a clear one um I, I then thought that Max Chilton and Takuma Sato were getting together. I thought that was far less an obvious pen- penalty, uh, with Sato yeah. moving back across onto the racing line when um, Chilton was trying to get round the outside and then go to the inside of the left-hander. I, 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 I give up. Now, I'll say this again. I never want to have to earn my living by sitting in race control, but I thought that was, that was a bit odd. I mean, ultimately... Uh, Rossi dominated the race. Um, there was no real challenge to him. Uh, the The rest of the race was actually quite interesting, and there were some interesting tactical calls as well. More bad luck for Robert Wickens. Yeah, and, and just putting a punctuation note on that uh, race control incident, I understand that race control is a group decision. They might look into it afterwards. Uh, there was a safety car or pace car procedure. You're supposed to maintain speed from the helicopter shot. It looked to me like Alexander Rossi did not maintain the speed, but that's something that race control can look at. It wasn't after 55 miles an hour, was it? Uh, no. And they can look at the traces. They can see live data from the car and all that in retrospect. So there might be something else that comes out of that. But okay. for Robert Wickens, the race should have been his uh, based on the strategy that his team went with. They elected for a three-stop race, which meant that he would have better tires later on through the race. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out because where he came back out was right in the middle of Tony Kanon and Takuma Sato, who were on better tires than what Robbie had available to him. So Robbie came out on blacks when everybody else was on reds. He couldn't get around cars that were a lap down. Now, Mm. blue flags were waving. We don't know if there will be any penalty for not respecting them. But Takuma Sato and Tony Kanon definitely did not make Robert Wickens' life easy. The gap at the end of the race was about 14 seconds, I think, uh, in the last few laps between uh, Rossi and Wickens. Who knows what it would have been if Wickens had been able to capitalize. He had been turning 106s on the on the blacks previously, on the reds previously, excuse me. So he was turning 109s when he came back in, out into traffic. That means he would have needed five laps mm. to lose that big gap. He was behind Kanan and Sato for a lot more than five laps. Yeah, it would have agreed. been a really interesting race. Agreed. Um, he finishes the weekend... Uh, 114 points behind the championship leader in three, four, five, sixth position, but he's dominating the the rookie points. 380 ahead of 211 for Veach and uh, 182 for Least. Um, uh, I, I suspect that he'll not be um, looking at the rookie points. He'll be disappointed he's not higher up the uh, standings. Uh, Dixon yeah. still leads. Rossi closes into under 50 points. 
uh, 46 points back. Newgarden, 60 points back. Will Power, 87 points back. Ryan Hunter Ray, 95 points back. I suppose all of those guys still nominally, at least, in the chase. But Rossi closing in on Dixon. Did we give the championship to Dixon slightly too early? Got absolutely paggered. That's very English uh, way of saying he I'm was... I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he got absolutely mullered in qualifying when Hinchcliffe went off bringing out the red flag. Didn't yes. get his timing to get into the fast six. Um, so actually, not a, not the worst weekend for Dixon and the, the Chip Ganassi uh, team or his part of the Chip Ganassi team. Only 46 points now. Rossi on a bit of a roll. Did As I say, did we give Dixon the, the run to the championship a bit too early, Shield? Are you still confident? I'm, I still believe in Scott Dixon. I will not <laughs> bail off that bus. Uh, we go next to Pocono. They get a little bit of a summer break. So then it's Pocono and Gateway. So two ovals before we head into the Grand Prix of Portland. Uh, IndyCar making their return mm, to that track. Looking forward to that. That will be advantage Dixon and advantage Bourdais, two guys with a lot of track experience there, whereas Rossi probably has never even walked the circuit. And then the finale at Sonoma. So I'm not throwing away my faith in Scott Dixon just yet. All right, last ha- half hour of the programme uh, or thereabouts, and let's concentrate on what we'll be doing this weekend on RS2 IMSA Radio, America's National hey. Park of Speed. Yay. Um, just over four miles around. Uh, as much interest, I think, on what will be happening off the track on Friday night uh, with Scott Atherton's now traditional State of the Series uh, announcement, which will be broadcast live on IMSA Radio. That's what we're working towards, and there's no reason to suggest that that won't happen for those of you on odd time zones. And I know that's going to be quite late at night in Europe and middle of the night elsewhere as we go further uh, round the world. We'll get that up as a podcast as quickly as possible. Um, I'm led to believe there might be sound and vision on that as well, but we'll certainly be broadcasting that on IMSA Radio RS2. Uh, I'm looking forward to what Scott has to say there, and I'll tell you now, we haven't been given uh, a full account of what is being said, and I know that Scott likes to keep one or two things up his sleeve, so worth tuning in for that. Uh, a very busy weekend from the development series as well as the main series here at Road America. Why not? It's a great place to be. Um, let's start with the development series. Lamborghini Super Trofeo, uh, a 17 car field for the Raging Bulls. Yeah, and uh, a lot of. Um class shakeups too we've got six am category runners which is going to be very amusing because it means that there will be no easy podium and same can be said for the lb cup because we've got five of those cars running around we've had four in the first two rounds of the season so we've had a couple people being able to write on their press release podium finishes when they were a couple laps down that won't be the case this weekend it will have to be earned and then for the pro category, you've got to be feeling that uh, Jonathan Chicado and Trent Hinman, who have had a terrible start to the season, will be looking for a lot of redemption, as will Shinya Mishimi, who had that puncture very randomly in one of the races at Watkins Glen. A lot of teams who are hungry to try and take down the Corey Lewis and Madison Snow combination, which will be hard to do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, did you want to give a shout out to somebody, by the way? I I just wanted to say really quickly uh, that earlier in the week on uh, Friday, I went to a funeral memorial service for Dave Mirage. It was yeah. um, pretty last minute, um, not not a great deal of time to be forewarned. And Scott Atherton was there. And I just wanted to say thank you to him on behalf of the champion family for making time in his busy schedule to come down 
because there were a lot of people there, John, don't get me wrong, but for someone like him to make that sort of commitment to come and honor the king, that that really means a lot. And it just shows the sort of class that he is. Uh, We had a champion GT2 car at Luft. GB, Luftgekult, at, uh, at Bister Heritage at the weekend. Uh, that was there. It was given a very prominent place as well. And that was, in, I thought, very important and, and wisely done by Pat Long and the, and the rest of the team. There was also a, a Brumos Porsche there as well, which made me think of Bob Snodgrass and Dave Mirage, two great uh, Florida team principal stroke driving force behind teams and um Automotive sales groups, of course, Brumos and uh, and Champion, and and I should just just say, uh, Pat Long gets some great people to work for him. It rained and rained and rained. It's never rained for twelve weeks in the UK. He comes over on Thursday, and it rained and rained and rained and rained, and then rained on top of the rain, and um, we still had a great turnout. Um, it's it's a lovely day today, by the way. Now that Pat's gone, uh, gone home, or a lovely day, but it was a lovely day. In fact, the moment that we started to drive away, the the sun came out. Um, the uh, he even managed to rope in some of his uh, his former teammates and friends to the point where Richard Leeds, world champion, three time Class Le Mans winner at, at least was in a staff uniform with his hood up, very anonymously, showing people where to park their cars in the pouring rain. Uh, uh, I love just, Leitzy. And I'm pretty certain that most people who lined up hadn't realised that that was he who was doing that. And, and speaking of Porsche, let's go to the IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup USA by Yokohama. Um, Perfect segue. I, I, I hadn't even thought of that, actually, but let's do it that way, <laughs> that way around anyway. Um, more than 20 cars again. Yeah, 21. Uh, We were down one from the initial entry list. That was 22 when um, one of our Canadian regulars, Sean McKeggie, pulled out from this weekend's event. But 14 in the platinum category, seven in the gold. So it is going to be a fun weekend. But we finally have an answer as to why we haven't seen Will Hardiman uh, for a few rounds. He's got some family dramas going on. And and we sent him the best uh, wishes he will not be completing the season in that number 19 Porsche from uh, More Speed. It'll be Zachary Robichon filling in. And Zachary is having a phenomenal season with the capital F in the Canadian version <laughs> of the series. He has won seven out of eight races, John. And the one he didn't win, he was second. This gives him the opportunity to uh, renew hostilities uh, with uh, another Canadian who's doing rather well and that's uh yeah roman d'angelis at the sharp uh, field and roman has been second or third in all of those wins from uh zach so it's going to be an added headache for poor roman who was down here running in the american championship going yay yay i only have to fight us up yay oh oh never mind yeah so it, it's going to be a real struggle week in and week out who as to who gets on the podium uh we've started to see some drivers hit their stride um Root comes to mind. He's mm. been doing fairly well the last couple of weekends. Maximilian Root. Maximilian Root. We've got David Kolkman, who's been very impressive early on in the season. Legitimately, we have six or seven drivers who can win any event on any weekend. Uh, and certainly in the last couple of seasons, the different challenge. All right, it's a natural terrain road circuit. We are used to seeing 
the Porsches on those. But there's something about Road America. I don't know what it is, but it's quite often the turning point of a season. Uh, we, If you have bad luck here, it tends to be big bad luck. Uh, you don't <laughs> easily get away with going off the circuit here. Uh, it stresses engines here. There's tyre management issues as well. Uh, this could be a, in, a, in a season where... And in a championship where you can't afford not to score, this, again, could be the round that we are seeing. Well, there was the turning point. Yeah, you don't have a little crash at the kink, do you, John? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this weekend, uh, which, of course, goes into our next event two weeks after that at VIR, not a lot of repair time. Good so point. if you have a big off at Road America, you might not have a car with the steering wheel pointing in exactly the right direction when you come to Virginia. And again, another place where you don't exactly have a small off. Although there's a lot more um, forgiveness extended in, in the greenery at uh, VIR. But racing at Road America is special. And when you're doing it in a spec class where it's you having to be better than the competition, not the car... That makes it really, really fun when you win. Get the setup right, and Road America is a lovely place to drive a Porsche. Get it wrong, and that applies to Porsches in the other championships we'll talk about, and it can be a very long race indeed. Uh, The two main events, of course, uh, two rounds each for Lamborghinis and GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama. Uh, The two main events will be the uh, Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and... Well, closer to 40 than 30 cars here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. 25 GS machines, that's GT4 cars, six TCR beasts, all of them Audis. We'll get to that in a minute. But we have our five ST contenders that are back, three minis, the one BMW and the one Porsche. And every year we come into Road America and the minis are going yeah, we don't really feel too great about this track. You know, it's a power yeah, right. circuit. You're, those things draft so well that if they can get a good run out of the final corner, coming up the straight, you're going to see them line astern bump drafting across the start-finish line. Oh, yeah. And in ST, uh, as in all of the classes, and we'll talk about them as we go through the classes, but as you mentioned, ST first, um, it's really tight. Three crews still very much in with a championship challenge as we head into the longest track that will compete on for Canadian Tire for Canadian Tire for Continental Tire Sports Car <laughs> Challenge of this year. Yeah, it's uh Devin Jones and Nick Gallant, Galante, excuse me, uh narrowly ahead of Mark Pombo, yellow, yellow mini, mini Mark Pombo, yellow. Uh and they are eight points total ahead of Mike Lamara and Matt Pombo, the winners from the Lime Rock round. So by no means is it over. The problem has been for the rest of the competition, Devin Jones and Nick Galante, so strong in qualifying that they get on pole and they tend to run up front. Yeah. Uh, And... Well, let's see whose track it is this weekend. Just the five cars, yeah. as we said, in ST. And the last time we'll see that category at all of the tracks we're going to this year. So the last opportunity to say I was the ST winner at Road America. TCR, we hit the high watermark of the season with 10 in the uh, Lime Rock round, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago. We're back down to... To five here. Uh, we were expecting uh, a couple of the newer teams not to turn out here. Who else have we lost? Clearly the VW, uh, if they're all Audis. Yes, we do not have the VW. We're actually at six. We've got the three cars from Compass Racing. All right, sorry. 
two from e-euro parts so the kenton cook and tama gorman car is entered again right. um we are not seeing the 11 that one has bailed out for this weekend they were initially on the entry list that's the uh, mikey taylor dan ishtuk car yep. that we've seen a couple of times um but none of our newbies are back from lime rock so um, we had a couple of teams making their debut at Lime Rock Park. We weren't expecting to see them back at Road America. We might see them at VIR, though. They're they're sort of dipping their feet in the water, trying to figure out how the schedule goes, what they uh, and like. And this is more. ahead of, as far as we know. Um, ahead and, of next year. Ahead of next year, which is a full commitment from what we hear from the team. Yes. Right. Yep, okay. that is confirmed. Uh, it couldn't um, be closer in the categories with... Um, Britt Casey Jr. and Tom Long uh, the smallest margin ahead of Kuno Whitmer and uh, uh, and uh, Rodrigo Salas it, it should be a half point uh, but it is a full point between Britt Casey Jr. and Tom Long uh, it was interesting at Lime Rock it was the first time that the Compass Cars did not win TCR mm. it's been shared back and forth between Casey and Long and uh, Whitmer and Salas whether one of those cars has come out and won. It was the 54, the JDC Miller Motorsport, the other TCR car running again this weekend in Wisconsin. Uh, Michael Johnson and Steven Simpson, they played the spoiler last week. They are not in the championship hunt, having joined the season at Mid-Ohio, so round three, but they're still there to try and gain as many points as they can and take away from that championship battle as are the 12, so the O'Garman and Cook car doing the exact same thing. They're only there to win. Mm-hmm. And Whitmer and Salas finished ahead of Casey and Long at Lime Rock. That's why the gap narrowed. It might be a fight for championship points at this point and not wins. Well, I, I, I tell you now as well, I think the TCRs are going to be spectacular at Road America. We haven't seen yes. them there, of course, uh, before we... We tend to think of those cars as being good on the twisty stuff. Um, but, you know, at uh, Lime Rock Park, they showed how difficult they were to get past because it's a fast circuit and there's a lot of fast corners. And the same can be said of Road America. All right, there's a few longer straights. I think the GSs, um, um, the faster GSs perhaps won't have quite as much uh, issues to get about getting through. But I tell you what, I, I think now, again, that we will see them... A third, I think Pulsit will be a third of the way up the GS field, depending on who qualifies. I think lap one for the TCR Pulsitter catching up to the slower GS cars in the carousel is going to be very interesting because that is a corner that should favour TCR. Well, yes, and exactly the same as at Lime Rock, where you come off the line into yeah. a heavy braking area, the front-wheel drive cars get up uh, their temperatures up in their tyres very, very quickly. So... You know, Lime Rock Park, I think the best of the TCRs was fourth or third quickest overall in the first sector at Lime Rock Park. Well, you get a, a quite a quick first corner, then the heavy braking at the bottom of the hill at Road America to turn right onto the back straight, and then it's a heavy braking at turn five, and then the twisties. By then, all of the tyre temperature will be in the front-wheel drive cars, where it might not necessarily be in the rear tyres, at least at the GSs. I think it's going to be very interesting on start and restart. Uh, let's well, talk... Sorry, go ahead, Chip. The other big factor, Jean, is the weather. Do you remember yes. what happened in our Conti race last year yes. when we red-flagged it because of all that uh, crazy stuff falling from the sky? Yeah. Right now, there's rain on Sunday, but I've seen forecasts for thunderstorms on Saturday, too, so... Don't T- count your chickens. TCR car on an overall podium if it rains there, I reckon. Yep. Just saying. Uh, let's talk about 
GS, 25 cars. Uh, and welcome back to Aston Martin. Yeah, they come back uh, with quite the presence because there are now three cars on the entry list. On the initial one, there were two. A big move there for Craig Lyons and Chris Wilson. They started out the year with Winward and a Mercedes before a couple of huge crashes took them out. They've been missing. Now they're back this weekend. Uh, We've got both the 99 and the 09 Aston Martins, as well as the 9, which is what Lyons and Wilson will be sharing. Oh, that's not going to be complicated, is it? Well, at least they all stuck with the same number. You know, they could have really just messed with us. Uh, But uh, no, it's going to be interesting. There is a second car for Stephen Cameron racing as well. They started out the season. They've had an M4 BMW. They've had a Mercedes AMG that they ran at Sebring. The car that is shared by Greg Leofuge and Ari Baylog, that will still be the BMW. But there is a second car now that Chris Miller will be sharing, and that one is the Mercedes. So that was a a fairly late uh, entry list edition. That will be number 88. And Um, I notice as well that we can say that Motorsport in Action aren't MIA anymore. Do you see what I did there? I, I see what you did there. Um, as for right now, they're on the entry list. We'll have to see if they actually are on the Lexus pit box because they were on the initial entry list for Lime Rock and then they weren't. So they're at least as of right now going to be running. And I really, really hope that's the case because I love seeing those guys. They try so hard and that McLaren is so beautiful, the white with the blue on it. A uh, quick couple of other things. A second Ford for core racing. That's good news, bad news, because because they got Ooh. in each other's way at Lime Rock. In the revolving door of co-drivers department, Bryce Ward this <laughs> weekend will have Christian Hoenardel. And it's Ty Majeski who's with uh, the Scott Maxwell in the number 15. Uh, let's talk about the GS points battle before we go on to the big show, because we're rapidly, I realise, running out of time here. Might have to oh. Uh, run. Oh, oh, no, 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 sorry. Sorry, I misread, misread the clock. Uh, Let's uh, uh, wrap up the GS with the points standings. Uh, the big momentum, uh, Owen Trinkler, Hugh Plum getting the W for the uh, Ted Giovannis Racing keep at the weekend, pull themselves up into joint second with the Clear and Kook entry. Uh, but it is still Cal Marcelli and Nate Stacey ahead, but only by how many points you? Four. So it truly is anybody's battle. Uh, We're just past halfway in the championship, so people are starting to get a bit serious. And this is when Owen Trinkler traditionally comes to life in the championship. He's a second half of the season man, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's the type of guy who when it's fourth down and you need one yard, you put him in because he'll get it for you. Uh, If he uh, has the same sort of second half of the season in the Mercedes for TGM as he and Sarah Catania did last year in the Nissan, Sorry, Nissan. Um, Nissan, we're not in Australia. Yes, exactly. Australia. Um, Nissan. Um, uh, then, I mean, that four points is not going to be enough for the guys at the head of the, of the standings. I mean, they they were nowhere at half distance and and ended up second in the championship. I mean, this this will be worrying. And momentum. Once somebody gets momentum, it's a very difficult thing to quantify, isn't it? It really is, and especially. For the guys sitting on top of the charts, they've already got the three wins this year, but they've had a couple of really bad finishes to go along with that. So Nate Stacey and Connor Marcelli really depending on things to turn around. It makes me nervous that they have that second car because they tend to get a little bit flustered when there's two cars in the picture. Dean Martin is a brilliant strategy man, but when he's having to manage two cars, things get a little bit compromised. So looking at historically what's happened to them in the past – this might not be the best news for that core motorsports team. 
Yes, exactly so. You listen to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode uh, number 29. Shea Adam, our Continental Tire Pitlane reporter from RS2 IMSA Radio, is with us as we're discussing IMSA and the weekend's action. Uh, and the the big show, the IMSA WSC uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, has a magnificent 36 cars on the grid, split 14 prototypes, the regular 8 GT Le Mans cars and the 14 GT Daytonas. Um, let's start uh, with GTD. D and the points available. It's a, a 10 point gap now for uh, Brian Sellers and Madison Snow over Catherine Legg, who is confirmed for the full season, remember. So the 86 is there, and she has 14 uh, over the Blake and Mullen and Keating 33 Mercedes Benz. Didn't have a great weekend uh, at Lime Rock Park. Three races. One for Lamborghini, Acura, Mercedes, Lexus, BMW have all won one and Audi, Ferrari and Porsche haven't won at all yet. Uh, lots of news in uh, in GTD. Uh, let's start at Lexus and the number 15 has a regular driver back. Yeah, if we go in numerical order, I think that'll be the okay. easiest way to knock out all the news. So yeah, David Hennemeyer Hansen. I'll shout out with... numbers. You tell us why why I'm shouting the numbers out, okay? <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. 15 this Lexus. Is like playing, playing the GTLM uh, qualifying game. Uh, 15 Lexus. David Hennemeyer Hansen back with Jack Hawksworth. He was not going to miss a chance to drive around mm. Road America. Uh, so he will be very, very happy to be getting back to that car, even though it's been a very difficult season for the two of them. Uh, 16, Porsche from Wright Motorsports. It will be Dennis Olsen in that car in place of Wolf Hensler. Uh, they've done a couple of rounds so far this year. Mike Shine having to withdraw the car at uh, Lime Rock due to previous work commitments that he couldn't get out of. They're coming back again this weekend uh, fourth race of the year no third race of the year for the 16 crew and on the entry list it still says tbd in the 16 car but the initial entry list that was published had dennis olsen so i'm running with that okay that seems that seems reasonable uh 51 uh 51 ferrari Yes, uh, they're back again this weekend. They made their debut at the Glen. Uh, so that was with Daniel Serra sharing the car with uh, Francesco Piovanetti and Oz Negri. It's the two ladder drivers who are coming back to run this weekend. So it'll be really cool to see the Ferrari back. And they've got some help from Ferrari of Fort Lauderdale. So a good team who knows their way around Road America as well. 63 Ferrari. Well, uh, Gunnar Jeanette is listed in the car. He's run they had with... four drivers at the last race, of which obviously they only used two. Yes, I think yes, we can. We, I was. I think we can presume Cooper McNeil will be one of the two drivers that were used, but it was Gunner. Um, who else did Jeff they have there? Belzan and, and Jeff Sigal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So they they've got a, a full um, a plethora of drivers at their disposal. Uh, it says Gunner on the entry list. I'm going to stick with Gunner for now, and we shall see if Gunner is actually listed on the car. Uh, who else have we got? 73 Porsche? 73 Porsche is back, Park Place. Uh, they're at a track where they have done very well in the past. They were second here last year, and Patrick Lindsay has a pole. So very exciting prospect for that Porsche. Porsche is still one of the manufacturers this year in GTD without a win. Park Place might be able to get that done. Uh, you've got uh, 71 here as well, but I'm not seeing 71 on the final entry list that I've got in front of me I had initially that uh, P1 Motorsports was going to be running again this weekend let me 
consult the interwebs, but we'll come back to that. No, um, yes, yeah, indeed. I've just got the total lent me down to 35, so that's that's my bad. I got too excited. Okay, so that's dropped off. So P1 not on the GTD uh, entry list. Uh, let's move on to GT Le Mans. All oh, the... we have one more. Do we have one more? 96. Oh. The BMW that's been oh, yes. a rotation of drivers. It's yes. Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin back for another shot. Okay, that seems uh, that seems good, and they work well together. Um, you mentioned a pattern of destruction <laughs> here. Uh, this is you with your arithmetical uh, progressions again. Tell me what you mean by this. Uh, this is me noticing things that uh, maybe not necessarily a good thing. So Townsend Bell started it, second time we've mentioned him in the show. Uh, he nerfed Patrick Long off the track at Watkins While Glen. being lapped, yes. While being lapped, then uh, at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, uh, Patrick Long hit Bill Oberlin, hit him off the track. At Lime Rock, Bill Oberlin nerfed Lawson Oshenbach off the track on lap <laughs> one. So who's Lawson going to upset at Road America? <laughs> so this is this is the driver's version of paired forward. Is that what you're yes. saying? So I was nerfed off last time round, so I get a freebie at the next race. Exactly. Okay. I, I, okay. Um, all right. I'm going to keep an eye open for that. Uh, GT <laughs> Le Mans. Uh, two Corvettes, two BMWs, two Fords, two Porsches. No uh, surprises in that. Um, not presumably a BMW track. I haven't seen any BOPs yet, um, but they don't tend to go well here because they normally build a draggy car. Um, no surprises there. So that means we can move on to a packed prototype grid. Uh, oh, should should just mention in uh, points? points in GTLM, yes, because it's it's again the the top of the table is literally as close as it could be. And with the twelve point swing available on any given weekend, because that's the difference between first and eighth. Yeah. Uh, so what you mean really... there is, if you finish first, you get thirty five points. Even if you finish, you have a horrible weekend and you finish down in eighth, you get twenty three. So the leader in category could potentially lose 12 points to one of their rivals. That's the maximum that they could yes. lose, which normally in a championship you'd say, ah, oh, well, if you've got a decent points haul and you're ahead of the, the game, then that shouldn't be too bad. However, at the top of the standings, this is how it is. Dirk Mueller and Joey Hand have a one-point advantage <laughs> over Antonio Garcia and Jan Magnussen, who hold a one-point advantage over Richard Westbrook and Ryan Briscoe. It's only 11 points from Joey and Dirk to Earl and Lawrence. So the portion so of the top 12... four are within the point swing of finishing first or eighth. Yes. Wow. So if if uh, the 66 finishes in eighth, the three finishes in seventh, the 67 finishes in sixth, and the 912 wins, we could have a four-way, practically a four-way tie for the lead. They and, would all be separated by a point. And as we went into the Michelin post-race tech, Jeremy's head would explode at that oh, point. Oh, that would be fun. As he was doing his uh, arithmetic. Right, same thing. We'll rattle through the prototype uh, points of note. Uh, the first one, and this is, a, this is a great good news story, Joao is back. Yay! Sorry, that deserves a real yay. Uh, Joao Barbosa, who was having his final cast shaped to the form of the steering wheel, useful for zero things in real life, useful for driving a race car. So he went along with that. Uh, very, very excited to see Joao teaming back up with Philippe Albuquerque. And the number when he five left... Action Express car, that is, by the way. Yeah. Yes, and when he left uh, the Mustang sampling seat, he was leading the championship, and he comes back in his co-drivers in second. So they got a little bit of catching up to do. It's almost all good news in uh, 
for the prototype class because uh, the ESM 2 and 22 are back having engine supply wars um, not pointing the finger at anybody and neither of the team I should say they had a bit of bad luck with engine reliability and um, they uh, were finding it difficult to get parts and engines but they'll be back in force with both of the cars and of course um, they did all right here last year didn't they? They did. They found victory lane last year with uh, Pippo Durrani and Johannes Van Overbeck. The sister car last year finished third, so it was Scott Sharp and Ryan Dial. They'll be looking for a really strong redemption weekend, clearly out of the championship, having missed around with an entire car. All it is is pride at this point. They're going for as many wins as they can. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, back when the moose was running on the treadmill for me to, to give internet through Canada... They are a team very much uh, running as a giant billboard right now. Look what we can do. Please come sponsor us. So they will be very desperate for a good weekend. Uh, another team who've had success here, not necessarily in the big class, are Performance Tech, but in at least one of their drivers who's on top form, um, they have a driver who knows how to get around this place. James French, three poles in the last three years at uh, Road America, albeit in the prototype challenge category. He gets to sleep in his own bed. He gets a home-cooked meal from mom. That tends to work pretty well for them. <laughs> so performance tech, really looking for a good weekend. Um, I, I, there's, uh, there is, there's not all good news because we've got no spirit of Daytona prototype here. Yeah, which it it stinks, but we expect to see them back before the end of the year. They uh, had said to us before that it was going to be a very spotty calendar going forward. We had expected to see them perhaps at Road America if the budget could be attained, but it looks like they'll be sitting this one out. Possibly coming back, though, for Mazda Race or WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, a track where they have a dominant yeah sorry i'll go do a push-up or something they have a dominant record though out in california so hopefully they can come back for that jill campbell only takes money um physical physical <laughs> exertions that then hurting yourself not gonna she just wants solid hard cash i tell you uh, we'll finish <laughs> on the prototypes with some more good news it was bad news this year uh, this time last year for mazda they weren't at this race uh, John Doonan, head of the uh, Mazda effort, is, well, this is a place that's very near and dear to his heart. It is. They came and tested at uh, Road America, so their drivers have been here. Most of them have been uh, there, having gone to the test. Uh, a couple of them couldn't make their way over because they had these other duties over in France, driving a car around for 24 hours. Yes, I don't yes. know. Something to do with that. Um, but John Doonan is a man who desperately wants the Mazda program to succeed. If they could get their first win for Mazda Team Yost in his backyard, the guy who's in Chicago just a a couple hours down the street, that would be the most meaningful thing that they could possibly imagine. So the 55 and the 77 both will be looking really strong. And again, there's a champion connection here, John, because one of the lead strategists on the team is Mike Peters, Mm -hmm. who's been a part of the champion family for about 30 years. So this is a guy who will be running this weekend with a heavy heart and extra inspiration to go out there and win. If ever there was a team that could will itself to get a win, I think this weekend it would be Mazda. It's a big day on Friday, which starts our live coverage uh, on RS2 IMSA Radio, quarter past 11, 11.15 local time. That's minus six from the UK. Check the uh, schedule at the bottom of the page at radiolamont.com. That's the... uh, all skate for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. There, quick look at the points in GT in uh, prototype rather, and again, it's nice and close between the top four. 
It's Kern uh, and Cameron, Kern uh, and Cameron, Kern and Nazar, who are one point ahead of Philippe Albuquerque. So it, it's very much all to play for in terms of that. But they don't have much of a cushion because the guys who won the championship, mm-hmm. the team who won the championship last year, uh, Jordan Taylor and then Ranger Van de Zander joining the team, they're only 10 points off of the lead right now coming into the weekend. And John Bennett and Colin Brown, who won the Canadian Tire Motorsport round, they're 15 points off the lead. There's a big point swing possible because it's a lot more than eight cars running with 14 cars. We could see a massive championship shakeup coming this weekend. Can't afford a non-finish or a low finish here. And just remember, Colin Brown is uh, looking for three pole positions in a row. Not necessarily the car starting from there, but earned pole positions in a row. Uh, Shea will be talking to us at a quarter past 11, 11.15 local time, uh, Road America time, uh, on Friday, August the 3rd, in a day that will stretch right through the 2019 uh, schedule announcement with Scott Atherton. That is 6.30 local times. Again, check the schedule at RadioLamont.com on the bottom of the page for RS2 IMSA Radio. Thanks to Nick Damon, to the responsible adult for the financial news and, of course, to our Continental Taipit Lane reporter from IMSA Radio, Shea Adam. Uh, that's all there is. We'll speak to you at the weekend. Have a good one. There's no time to explain. The Llama is about to be let loose in the National Park of Speed. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.